This is Bill Van Vagel from Phantom Galaxy Podcast here, inviting you all to have your senses challenged and your mind engaged. In a new podcast, Strange Frequencies, we discuss thought-provoking songs and mind-bending movies. That's Strange Frequencies, a Phantom Galaxy podcast, where the needle drops and the story begins. Welcome to the next episode of Phantom Galaxy, where horror, sci-fi, and fantasy meet. The crossroads, that is. I'm Bill Van Vagel, hosting this week, along with my sidekick, Nathan Bartleba. Nathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so happy not to be in the uh, driver's seat for this episode. This is all on me. So if people don't like the way it sounds, I get the hate email. Nathan is scot-free. Yeah, we don't get email, Bill. Uh, <laughs> we don't get enough listeners to get emails. So this is our second episode of the Strange Frequencies series, where we discuss artists and songs that tell a story and lead us down a certain narrative. And we combine it with a movie that we think pairs well with it. And this week's episode pairs perfectly because they come from the same source. We are talking about the soundtrack and the movie Maximum Overdrive which is a divisive film within the horror genre because some people love it, some people think it's trash, and there are some people in between. But to discuss this, we were kind of thinking about what we're going to do for this episode because I wasn't quite sure and Nathan wasn't quite sure. And we get a, a DM message from our good friends at Horror Chronicle podcast, Gerald and Ryan, and they said, we want to get involved and we want to discuss Maximum Overdrive. And actually, I think it's absolutely perfect that they too, because they are both huge music fans. I think they align with Nathan and I very well in our tastes and our sensibilities of music. And with Gerald being a musician of great renown, he's able to give us insight into music production and the playing of instruments that I just don't have. And un unless Nathan has a musical instrument that he plays that I am not aware of. Do you, Nathan? Man, see, that seems like that was a setup for a Ryan comment. <laughs> I was going to say it, but I kept myself. I don't, I don't want to assume anything. Mostly partial to the flute. It was a flute. It was a type of flute. <laughs> I'm still trying to get past this musician of great renown here. Yeah, I'm already past it. that. Take it and go with it. Okay, because on his, on his picture, it's him playing the guitar, and I'm like, he must know what he's doing. So without any further introduction, we'll go to Jared Turbeville and Ryan Burke. Gerald and Ryan, how are you guys doing today? We are fantastic. Awesome. What's up, everybody? I'm JT. This is Ryan from the Horror Chronicles. I can say my own name. You can shut the hell up. Uh, I'm a big kid. We were pretty uh, pretty uh, stoked whenever uh, Nathan and Bill approached us about this, and we said, hey, we want to get involved somehow. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm super stoked because I'm one of those people in the love maximum overdrive uh, camps. I um, this movie is awesome, super nostalgic for me. Uh, again, great soundtrack. And um, for whenever I, I first heard your, your guys' uh, clip of this um, strange frequencies, I was like, dude, this is the perfect movie for that. You know, and you're right. This is a great soundtrack to this movie. But the funny thing is, I have never heard of the band that did the soundtrack. 
Yeah, are they some some band that's scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to get yeah. heard? Couldn't even come oh up with a God. name. They only they have just a few letters. Yeah, some, <laughs> yeah, some some kind of symbol. Like who the hell are they? You know? <laughs> yeah. Who who, who made who? <laughs> And in case you guys haven't figured it out, Maximum Overdrive, the soundtrack is produced and uh, the music is put out by the internationally renowned band ACDC. God, and and we'll get into all of that. But I thought we'd start off by just asking Gerald and Ryan probably to start because they introduced it. Why did you choose this particular soundtrack and movie to kind of get things going on Strange Frequencies? Well, you know, whenever I first, like I said, I first heard you guys talk about your new Strange Frequencies, and I was like, dude, A, I've been wanting to do um, any kind of podcast about Maximum Overdrive, and uh, B... Yeah, he won't stop talking about it. Yes. (laughs) But, uh, you know, this right here is perfect because, again, like you said in the beginning, it brings it together perfectly, a movie and a soundtrack, and uh, again, this band ACDC, which everyone knows... Um, it's such a great band in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and this movie for me, and I'll let JT talk for just a second here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> this this movie for me uh, is really nostalgic. It's one of those movies I got to watch when I was little. Uh, that was you know horror, and um, it's just uh, super funny to me. And I want to say we need to give a special shout out real quick to the co writer of this movie, and that is Cocaine. <laughs> oh no it was the lead writer <laughs> uh sweet lady cocaine go ahead jt What's so it? uh so you know me wanting to do this movie it combines the two things that i love in this world and that is heavy metal music and horror mm. and you can't mesh the two together any better than maximum overdrive yes there yeah. are some others that have tried it I was a little pissy when you guys wanted to do this movie because I really wanted to do like Purple Rain or something <laughs> like that, you know. Um, There's which, all their the episodes. Way, another great movie. Um, Provided we don't get canceled on this one. <laughs> There'll be other episodes. Purple, hey, we're Purple being Rain nice. will be awesome. I'm being good. We'll be in nice. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Maximum Overdrive, of course, you know. Well, I don't want to get into too much of it because I'm sure Bill wants to talk about the movie. But, you know, it's great. 80s uh, B grade cheese. You can call it 80s cheese. Cheese. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that's that's a good uh, Gouda. Let's make, let's make it sound Gouda. good and say say fromage. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's one of those cult classics that I'm sure if you're any kind of horror fan, you have heard of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't go wrong with the soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely not. And the other thing I wanted to get into is the way that I like to set this up is we talk about the soundtrack first. So what we're going to start is just do our little roundtable first of is what was your first exposure to and why do you think ACDC was such a really good band to have a prolific band to have as the soundtrack masters of this film? When did you first get into them? I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah, I grew ahead, up in St. Louis, Missouri. KC95 played the crap out of ACDC. Um, you know, ACDC, my love of ACDC started with Back in Black album. Uh, probably the greatest album to come out in that era. Uh, you know, you had, you know, 
of course, Back in Black and Hell's Bells and Shook Me All Night Long. I mean, the classics that we all heard on the radio. And to to mold those into a into a movie, uh, I really thought it was cool how they took all these songs that were ACDC staples and put them on a soundtrack. And then, you know, this is one of those which came first, the chicken or the egg. Did they make this because of the Who Made Who album? Did it influence the movie, or did the movie influence the album? Let's ask cocaine that. Let's. <laughs> I'll be right back. Coca. Miss Coca. Uh, uh, for me, yeah, and yeah, you're right, you know. Um, Steven. Steven. <laughs> we need ACDC. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, f- and for me, as far as ACDC wise, I, my fan, I grew up listening to all kinds of music. ACDC was definitely one of them. Um, my brother, my older brother listened to it a lot. Uh, and uh, kind of around the same time this movie came out, actually, is when I first got introduced to ACDC. And um, so it, these two, the movie and the and the band came out to me at the same time. And ACDC is just one of those bands where I don't care what you're doing. You're driving down the road, you're in your house, whatever. If you're listening to music and it comes on, I mean, you're going to turn it up and you're going to blare it. I don't think there's any way to listen. You can't listen to ACDC except for all the way up in my eyes or ears, I should say. So completely agree with you on that one. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of bands like that. Um, but ACDC is like one of the originals, you know, I mean, um, just the story, the storyline behind the band itself is awesome too. You know, uh, awesome, tragic, you know, however you want to look at it. Uh, but, uh, they're just, like I said, they're one of them bands where I can't get enough of them. I mean, how old would they first come out? When is 74? Oh, ACDC? Yeah. 74, yeah. I'm going to say, because they had their uh, Jailbreak EP in 74, I believe. It. So there you go. I mean, and they're still, everyone heard, hears of ACDC. They love ACDC. Wow, they formed in Sydney in 1973. Man. There you go. Form- yeah, because awesome. they, they, they probably didn't lay it down on wax for another year or so. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, here, here was a little interesting tidbit here. I just uh, saw that... Uh, the actual soundtrack album, which is Who Made Who, was released May 24th of 1986. The movie... The movie came out July 25th. So it was two months two months? Yeah, two, two months? months later. Two months later. Yeah, that, then that's kind of sometimes typical back then, I think. The soundtrack is like the warm-up band. Kind of gets the audience yeah. ready, right? Yeah. 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 So what so, about you? Bill? Well, instead of me, I just want to make sure Nathan got his voice heard. When when did you first become aware of ACDC as a band and start listening? It was probably in the 80s, too. Now, it's funny because growing up, my my parents listened to music. A lot of it was more of your like typical like 70s and at that point, you know, 80s rock music. And so there wasn't a lot of the heavy metal going on. But we had um, an uncle, an uncle Jimmy, right? Most people have an uncle Jimmy and he's usually the guy that introduces you to all the wild stuff. Right. And, uh, it, it, sadly he is uh, since passed, but he, we would go over to their house and, you know, holidays and things like that. And he'd be in the recliner with the, you know, that, 
big uh, the, the the big gulp full of cola or whatever, and sitting there blaring heavy metal, and you know everyone else just left, walked away. <laughs> and I and that it was funny because that was about my my uh, singular exposure for a while would be hearing them then, and then uh, you know picking up on the songs and being like, okay, let me go find this and let me go hear it. And so honestly, probably the first sustained exposure to it beyond hearing it, you know, when he was playing at some of these family um, gatherings would have been maximum overdrive, you know, and, and, and when, and once in a while on the, on the radio, you know, down here, Maryland, we have like a nine at 98 rock. That was the, you know, the kind of local rock station, like the only one that really played anything that would be even considered heavy or metal. And, uh, but yeah, and the thing about Maximum Overdrive, you mentioned early, Bill, you said that, you know, you there's people who love it and there's people who think it's, uh, you know, like a hot mess. And then I think there is a third category that people who love it and think it's a hot mess <laughs> in a certain <laughs> sense. And I probably kind of fall into that category. Um, but it's a it's a it's an affection, a hot mess. But I think I saw it. I didn't see it. I don't think I saw it on VHS, but I remember the VHS cover with that truck, that goblin face on the front of the truck. And uh, and I probably saw it in the very early 90s, around the time when Emilio Estevez was, he had that one moment where he like really like popped for a moment, you know, with like young guns and things like that. And then they were, then it kind of fizzled. But uh, around that time when he was really popular, I remember seeing, you know, kind of like, oh, let me check out, more Emilio Estevez movies. And I think I saw this one on like late night TBS. It was like, uh, we're probably doing like a, like a, a sleepover with friends for like a birthday party or something and turning on TBS. And that was when you could find the good stuff. Right. And I was surprised because growing up, we'd see, I'd probably seen every single other Stephen King movie. And I'm not sure how this one had passed me by, but, um, man, just having a lot of fun with it. And it's funny how it seems like the critics can't decide whether it's intentionally comedy or unintentionally comedy, you know? I think I think it's pretty clear it's intentionally, there are intentional comedic moments. I, I Clearly, King was out of his depth, but I don't know if I buy the entirely, I was on cocaine, I don't remember, because he kind of, he kind of disowns this movie. But there are some effective sequences. You can't, there are, there are definitely things that go wrong, and Bill will talk about that, I'm sure. And there, you know, the movie is a little messy in places, but there's there's some skill to directing some of these scenes. I don't think all I don't think this movie just all happened on its own. And the original short story was pretty strong. And I think he, he, you know, I think what he was trying to do is he probably had seen George Romero and John Carpenter make hit after hit from his films and think, ah, how how hard could this be? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't no, think it's no, the mess that King or the critics think it is. And well, I I wish he would just lean into it a little more. And at this point, King had worked with Romero. Yeah, yeah. I think a more of a behind-the-scenes uh, kind of guy, yeah. Well, when did Creepshow come out? Creepshow was 82, but I know, I mean, he had been, okay. he was on screen, that's true. But I don't think he, had, he was never the... There was a certain amount of arrogance, and I don't know if it was on King's part or on the part of the studio. Do you remember the one Maximum Overdrive poster? You don't see it as much anymore. But I think the one they used to sell the movie literally had Stephen King with marionette strings attached to, like, Emilio Estevez and all the actors, and he's moving them around, and it's like, now King directs his own horror. And I'm like, oh, pride goes before the fall. That's funny you would you would say that because that's the poster that's up on our screen right now. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, right. Well, yeah, and but I mean, and I don't know. I don't think that was the one that ended up on most of the DVD because the DVD covers I remember were predominantly that goblin face. But that was probably that was probably post the movie coming out. 
bombing uh, theatrically and then, you know, using those images to sell like the VHS or whatever. Yeah, I, I remember the poster most strongly with Estevez in the foreground and then the, yeah. the Green Goblin in the background. That's the one I recall mm-hmm. the most. But as far as my personal experiences with ACDC, I was around, I was 11 or 11 years old when Fly on the Wall came out. So this is the perfect, you know, you're young, you're impressionable. My parents were huge music lovers, but they were uh, Beatles and CCR and uh, Elton John and such. So I had to kind of dig. And even to this day, still, my mom says, I still listen to that loud crap. Yeah, I'm still listening to that loud crap, mom. Yeah, and ACDC was one of those ones where you know you always it was always played on the radio. The the top forty stations and the the rock stations played it. You know, it's kind of like Bob Seger that kind of thing where it it gets played all the time. Yeah, and I I was always had an affinity to the hard rock and the heavy metal. I remember when metal was breaking and the hair bands were coming out, and I remember when Mental Health came out with the Quiet Riot and 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 Motley (laughs) Crue was breaking and Live Wire was the new hip song out and. So it was a it was a natural for me to go back, and you always knew the big songs. Uh, anybody that's ever seen me at a wedding knows when you shook me came out. I just own that dance floor. That's me. Get out of my way. I'm dancing to that song. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know, and but then you hit your stage at university when you're 19, and you got all the drinks, and you have all the smokes, and you take a deep dive into their back catalog, and that's when I kind of discovered the jailbreak, and you, you know, the Bond stuff that isn't quite as advertised as some of the later albums are. I can remember very distinctly, I was about 11 years old. I was on my front lawn and I was singing the song, let's get it up. (laughs) And my mom looks at me like, do you know what the heck you're saying? I'm like, no, but I'm rocking back and forth like Angus. So I don't care what the song means. Yeah. And then in the year 2003, everybody remembers the world was going through SARS an epidemic uh, pandemic kind of like that we're going through now to a lesser level. And Toronto was hit. Ontario was hit very strongly. I think of any place in the world, it was one of the worst. So they held this big benefit concert that ultimately became known as SARS fest. And 450 to 500,000 of my closest friends and I were at, uh, at Downsview Park. And it was headed by the Rolling Stones. It had Rush. It had BTO. It had a whole, a whole days full. The Isley Brothers, the Flaming Lips, uh, a whole bunch of bands were there. But ACDC was up just before the Stones. And they blew the Stones off the stage. The Stones had no yeah. chance after ACDC came on. Man. And it was just an, it was the first time Brian Johnson said at one point, uh, Angus Young does a solo and he takes Johnson's cap off his head and wears it. And Johnson goes, that's the first time in all our years together. He's ever taken my hat off. And so he's, I mean, so, so I've seen it. I've been 10 feet from uh, Angus and I've seen the sweat roll off his chin and stuff. And he is the hardest working guitarist out there. Yes. He's flashy, but he can play. And to this day, to this day, when I hear she's got the jack, when I hear jailbreak, when I hear, you know, girls got rhythm, you immediately start tapping your fingers, touching your toes and you're you're off to the races because it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so and 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 I was going to ask Gerald as a musician, I don't know how much if you've ever tried to cover any any of their music. It seems like it's four chords straight ahead rock and roll. But I don't know. I'm not a musician at all. How technical or tricky is it? Uh, some of their stuff is very simple. Um, they are very blues oriented, but with a rock flair. 
uh, we used to, so I played in a cover band for a while and we, uh, we used to cover for those about to rock and, uh, what's the, oh, what's that one song we used to do all the time? The wheels uh, on the, the bus? One, the song with the bagpipes <laughs> on it. Oh, it's uh, a long way to the top. Yeah. It's a long way to the top. That song is very powerful, but it's, it's pretty simple to play, mm. you know? But but it takes something. You got to have the, the quote unquote the balls to play it. You got to go yeah. balls to the wall and give it your oomph. Balls to exactly. The wall. And, and you know, <laughs> playing in a band, you know, you can play the simplest song in the world, but it's all how everybody on that stage gels together. Yep. And ACDC, they gel in spades, man. They they are right there. You know. Yeah, there. I mean, you know, with Malcolm, I think Malcolm is kind of the backbone of that band, the kind of the other brother, but he held that band together. And when he passed, I think they lost a bit musically because he, you know, it's like when Entwistle died, like you, you, you just can't replace that. So I think yeah, I mean, when Cliff Burton died, Metallica, when Cliff Burton changed. died and yeah, yeah. like, like, hey, the, wait, 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 no, I'm not saying they're bad <laughs> no, or they no. got worse or anything. No, you're right. Just a different band. You're, well, I mean, Cliff, dang it. Cliff, Cliff <laughs> is the reason bad. why I started playing, you know, um, I'm here and Steve Harris from Maiden. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, yeah, I love Metallica, but we're not talking about that. We're talking yeah. about ACDC and I would tell you with, with ACDC, uh, it's crazy how, you know, JT talks about how some of the stuff that they do is simple, but it's so great. It, it's so power. Sometimes, you know? sometimes a music less is more. Exactly. You can get more power and more emotion into something that's simple versus an intricate. You know, I've played, I've played everything from, well, I've never played country. I'm not a country guy, but I've played, you know, simple ballads to extreme death metal. And, you know, there's something there for everybody, you mm. know story they do weave a story in a lot of their songs and and it's relatable and it's relatable right yeah exactly i mean i I was gonna say who hasn't hung out at the bar at 2 a.m and you're buzzing and you're trying to pick off who's left i mean that's what the story they tell (laughs) so so bill let me throw a question out there to you sure bon scott or brian johnson oh i think as a performer I think Bon Scott, he mastered that stage. I think Brian was a little bit better on the music side, but I can see where he's grading to some people. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. I can, you see know, that. it's like, it's like a Getty Lee or it's like a Robbie Halford, or like it, it, a Dickinson. If you can't hit that high voice or you don't like the scratchiness, you're not going to be appealed to it. But I think he had more chops, but I think Bon was the better musician stage showman. The, yeah. the butter showman. Yeah. yeah, see. And ACDC is that perfect mix, I think, of the musicianship and the showmanship. You know, it yeah. never feels forced with them. It's a it's a shtick just like anybody else, but it never feels like a shtick. It's just them. I mean, it, it's yeah. weird when yeah. I see Bon Scott with a shirt on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I if they buried him without his shirt. Well, probably just his puff of his ch- chest hair just yeah. below, you know. Yeah. Where, yeah. <laughs> Oh, you know, but and it's I I love ACDC, all of them, all of it. You know, but I'd say I like I prefer Bon Scott. Um, and it was just crazy though because I like that gravelly. You know, mm. um, just like with Motorhead, I love Motorhead. You know, yeah. um, 
Rest in peace. And Lemmy, Lemmy, you yeah. know, he had that gravel in the he the way he played and sang, you know. Yeah. But you know, uh, the way Bon Scott went went out was just nuts. We could we could do a whole side story on every album and talk about that because we could. No, we could. yeah, 100%. each album tells a story, and even you know some of their, you know, if you look at Flick of the Switch, it didn't do well, you know, sale wise, but it's still a hell of an album, you know. Like, yeah, definitely. Well, and that's how you talked about Fly on the Wall. Fly on the yeah. Wall wasn't a top tier album for them. No, but I'll be honest with you, it was probably one of my favorite albums from them, mm. and it, it was and, one that I got into the most. Any album that has a song called Sink the Pink. Yes. yes. Game on. Sink the Pink. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think it's a, I think it's I think it's time we kind of yeah. dig into the soundtrack and bring it back. And I the way I did it is I broke it down song by song. So I'm just gonna go over each song and then each of us can give our comments on what they liked, disliked, they thought it was good, thought it was bad, what have you. So the first song now going into this, I think uh, I want Nathan to start because Nathan uh, said that he had the album back in the day. So what kind of impact did the album have on you, Nathan? Well, and excuse me, because of the fact that really so many of those songs that were on the album, you know, were the already kind of pre-existing ACDC songs. And what was it? Three were were, were like um, two. Originally, two of them were for it. Two, yeah. yeah. And of course, the Who Made Who song was actually written specifically as the theme song for Maximum Overdrive. Stephen King's favorite band at the time, I don't know if it still is, was ACDC, which is how they got involved with all this. And like I mentioned to you, I saw this movie and became more aware of them like well after this album was out. And so after seeing Maximum Overdrive, it was like, let's get the Maximum Overdrive soundtrack. And of course, the cool thing that we've been talking about is the Maximum Overdrive soundtrack is an almost like a like an ACDC's greatest hits to that point sort of an album right and it's like a perfect sort of window it's not it's is it as overall strong as some of the others no but it is kind of a good sort of like segue particularly if you haven't you know you heard bits of their songs on the radio and you recognize oh i i know that song and the thing you said a little bit ago uh gerald i i think is interesting because i think you're right on and someone i think about it a lot is the blues influence that's there you know the other music influences that are under the heavy metal that come out because you can hear certain riffs in some of those songs um like we were talking about you know um you shook me all night you know you're hearing bits of that song you can hear a chunk of that song by itself and not may necessarily immediately identify what what musical genre it belongs to you know what i mean there are bits of that song that could sound kind of honky tonkish that could sound uh you know they've got they've got more than a few songs oh, it was honky so, all right <laughs> but you know what i mean is like the impression when people say the things like bill mentioned like oh you still listen to all that noise and it's it's true of very very little heavy metal or anything else that it just sounds like white noise you know but the the level of influences in the in the songs is what really impressed me when I was listening to it and kind of made me really love them because they did they did have that uh also the fact that they just don't take themselves that seriously I don't mean that as like a as a knock but you know what I mean oh no not at all around the time I discovered them it's the 90s grunge is coming on up and nothing against grunge either or you know love metallica but sometimes sometimes the watch it watch it well you'll you, let me finish let me finish my thoughts 
the thing with Metallica though is at a certain point that the musicianship and the showmanship and everything is very high too. But like, uh, this was a time like Unforgiven and things like that were coming out, and it's like it's really cool, but man, it's downbeat. <laughs> You know, Reload. Uh, purposely so. But Reload. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Saint Anger. Yeah, yeah, and there's just a minute of like, wow, you know, the pageantry stuff is there. But there was a bit in the '90s where I was like, I could do with it. I'm a teenager. I don't need this much morose material. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and ACDC is never really morose. You can say that. No, until no. we get to song five, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah. we've got a cool, uh, cool little thing to talk about on so- song five, but we'll get All there. All right. So the number, the first song on the album, three minutes and twenty-seven seconds. It was "Who Made Who." And Who Made Who is one of three songs on this album that was done just for this album. A lot of people think this song has been around forever, but it was created for the soundtrack. The video games, they play me. So here's what what my little notes are. Now we'll just go around the... I, I take each song and I try to analyze it and I try to figure it out. I was heads... I couldn't make heads or tails of what the hell the lyrics mean in this song. It is absolute... Jibber what jibber jash, you know, it's like just yeah. them adapting the story. Yeah, like they've, they've got a beat, you know, and they kind of know where they want to get to at the end of it. But don't try to analyze it because I tried. You can't make any heads. Like, is it about perhaps uh, uh, about drugs? Is it perhaps about the manipulation of women? Is it perhaps about the use of technology and finances? They're all kind of alluded to, but really, it's got a nice beat. It's easy for the listener to figure out, and it's got great guitar work, and that's what I get out of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about you guys. What you guys? I'm I'm there with you on that. Uh, yeah, the song is kind of out there. Um, you know, who did make who? You know, did, I'll did, make did, you. I was going to say, did did the uh, waitress in the uh, at the restaurant at the diner start talking about we made you, we made you. We made you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who turned the screw? Um, for me, this song. Um, uh, so a lot of music. Sometimes, you know, like you said, you don't need to uh, dig deep into the, the lyrics. They're just there. It's just a a beat or a um, rhythm or something. You know, I. Uh, Who made who? To me, it's crazy because this all goes back to nostalgia for me. Um, back back to a time whenever I was younger, I had no worries. Um, I loved horror. I got to watch horror. This, this had a big part of it. So it brings back to some happy times, you know? So that being said, whenever I'm having a day that I, uh, like a long work day or something and I'm on my drive home, I can roll the windows down on a day like today. It was beautiful down here. So I could roll the windows down, take the back road home, turn on who made who, and just it zend me out. You know, it, it's a song for me. It makes me happy. Uh, I get along with it. It puts a smile on my face when I hear it. And I can just, like I said, roll the windows down and just jam out. And by the time I get home, I'm happy again. So that's my outlook on that song. What do you think of this one, Nathan? 
I love it. And I think, I do think it's as simple as, and we saw a lot of this more in the, in the eighties. Now someone's like, write a theme song for me and for the film. And, you know, they just make a song and here, here you can have it. I think in their own weird way, because remember that this short story exists before the movie, the trucks short story, uh, that the, you know, what was happening is Stephen King said he was adamant. One thing he was absolutely adamant about was that ACDC do the soundtrack to this movie. And so if nothing else, if everybody wants to slag him for the movie, he did make that decision or, or cocaine made it, whoever made it. But <laughs> the, point, yeah, yeah, the yeah. point being is then ACDC was sort of like, you know, well, we need to, we really want to give at least at the end up a three, but we want to at least give one piece of original music. And if you listen to the song, I mean, in its own weird way, I don't think it's about anything deeper than, machines taking over you know the same plot yeah. as the film mm-hmm. in in a weird way like when they're talking about the video games playing i mean yes there's a little bit of that suggestion that is aren't we already there the you know in the 80s oh man if the 80s only could have foreseen that if they had seen yeah you know, what's going on now they realized yeah. it was so much worse they would have wished we lived in blade runner right and uh, <laughs> yeah yeah so um maybe it would be better if the trucks were in charge but uh I, I just like the song. It's fun. And I, you know, I think that I, I appreciate that it is essentially telling them it is, it's entwined with maximum overdrive in a way that maybe a song from a different soundtrack isn't, you know, you can hear like the danger zone song from Top Gun. We know it's the Top Gun song, but does it really yeah. have much to do with Top Gun? Not really. When I think and listen to the lyrics of the song, I remember, Oh yeah. Maximum overdrive, you know, the, the <laughs> yeah. machines taking yeah. over oh, that wow. theme plays out in the way the song plays. And I love too, that this movie isn't just called trucks, right? It's maximum overdrive. The heavy metal influence goes both ways, right? Or the, the influence of the science fiction is on this, on these couple pieces of music, particularly this one. And then the heavy metal thing, even, you know, maximum overdrive is a heavy metal title. I, I don't yeah. know if, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if Brian Johnson has ever been correlated to Kenny Loggins. I don't know. if Yeah. There you go. It wasn't, you know, he, the he other, was on the he got the upper side of that though. So yeah. the other the other yeah. aspect to this song is this is at a time when you know Michael Jackson was selling Pepsi and all that. Yeah, yeah. wasn't couldn't you see this? You know, Bob Seger was selling Ford trucks. Couldn't you see this selling some kind of you know pop culture item and this song being on this? It's totally yeah. of that time. Yeah. Trying to sell maximum I, you know, overdrive, it, it, <laughs> motor motor those, oil, motor oil or yeah. something. You know. You know, and a lot of those could be, you know, their view on our, uh, we were just getting into the, you know, or we're all slaves to technology. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we're, yeah, we, we made you, but you're controlling us. You know? Exactly. It's the Terminator kind so of So who scenario. really made who, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean you there can was go- a lot of that going on. I mean, look at, look at one of Ryan's favorite movies. They live. Hmm. Uh, you That's know, that was all, other... all about, you know, censorship and, you know, uh, the way one year that, later, I believe that marketing, yeah. you know, drive, you know, drives us It's like a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, really and, and, and I mean, for all those people that think ACDC's fluff about drinking and getting women and whatever, you give this question to a fourth year Oxford University, put it on a paper <laughs> and say, who made who? And you could write for days. Yeah. Yes, you could. You could. <laughs> so to take the that to the second. The genius of ACDC. The genius of Angus and Malcolm keep on living, you know? Yeah. Now, to take that to the second song, we got You Shook Me All Night Long, the iconic song, three minutes and 30 seconds, which is perhaps their most well-known and best-selling song. 
here's my take on it. It's iconic. It's got the iconic intro. As soon as Mel or Angus begins, you know what song it is. There, there is no doubt. It's got the iconic intro. It starts to punch up. It ramps up and builds to an utter explosion, kind of like sex. You, you kind of build up, and then That's you have an are. utter explosion. Well, some of us don't. Why have just to happens. Build. Some, some of us. Don't. <laughs> Some of us don't have to build up for very long. Though. Some of it's kind of like a 30 second song, but yeah. Yeah. And, and Done before the intro's over. <laughs> he hasn't even gotten to the chorus the yet. In, Done. The intro is like foreplay. Exactly. But I mean, he, he's got his raspy voice. The song is catchy. It's uncomplicated. It tells a story that most adults can relate to, or is it a song about a car? Think of it in that sense, right? Hmm. Now, this was the first single with Brian Johnson as the lead singer. So this has a little bit of cachet to it. And um, the title of the song was about Malcolm and Angus. Had the, they had the title. They had created the title of the song, and they worked backwards from there. So this was one of those backwards created songs. They knew what the song was going to be. Now let's create a tune around the title. So that's kind of what I got out of that. So what do you guys think of this one? Other than it's a great party too, and you've had a couple beers and you're cranking it. Bill, you stole yeah, my I like, mean, one I, piece of thunder. You know, oh, this sorry. is a, a classic, uh, classic ACDC song. I mean, and honestly, for them to put this song in this film may have been more of a marketing ploy than anything because yeah. everybody knows and loves this song. And you're, uh, you know, and you see the preview and all of a sudden you hear that. You know? I'm going to have uh, uh, metal power chords play over every time you guys curse. So it'll be awesome. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> You're going to have a whole album on here. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this episode is going to be five minutes long. Yeah, right. uh, you know what you say that uh, about them putting it on there, but it goes well. It goes amazingly with the movie. It does. It does. You but know, I feel like they wrote the part for the movie to go with the song. Well, yeah. But, well, do, it, and I'm to really going to emphasize that in the next song. Bill says... Is, is it about a car? I mean, this could have been the theme song for Christine from Ooh, yeah. 1984. Yeah. Like, the way that movie is played, and if you look at all the lyrics, if you read all the lyrics to the song, it keeps that edge where is, you know, the car and the and the woman could be, you know, interchangeable there, in a sense. And that's kind of the thing that Carpenter plays. And I honestly, there's a lot of maximum overdrive. It seems like King is thinking back to what Carpenter did in Christine, you know, and trying to cash in on some of that a little bit. And yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's a fun song, but I think it does fit pretty well, but yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, and the, the link to Christine is palpable because when Christine, you know, when the car starts up, you get that green glow and that's mm-hmm. close, famous, the green glow above the, the Dixie yes. boy. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's all over. You know, the place. Yeah. And for, and for me on with this song uh, again, I love this. Is why I love music and I love movies, you know, brings you back to a better time or a different time. Uh, I grew up in a very small town. Well, when I say small town, literally there was a, I think 450 people when I moved here that lived in this town. So, uh, and this town had two bars and they were family owned, you know. So that's, uh, that's a pretty good ratio. It's a it was, two bar town. It was complete with two bars. <laughs> 
Hey, no two bucks. Gonna, hey, that's straight out of freaking Austin Powers. I was going to say, right there. There, there's Get a no long, smooth shaft and <laughs> two balls. <laughs> there, there, there's no church. There's no school. There's no post office, but there's two bars. Well, there's hey, yeah. the bar was in the basement of the church. Well, check, yeah, well, <laughs> check this out. We have we had one little grocery store that was owned by a family. Best best homemade sandwiches and stuff you could buy. Uh, we had two bars, a school, and like six or seven churches oh wow okay no joke not not lying you can still go down there and look out and, and where and where where, do, where would you go to pick up ladies you would go to the bar okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one across the street was cheaper it was just called bar yeah <laughs> bar uh and bar. In a six church in a six church town you need two bars yes that town, you only have one that way, you don't want to have too many preachers in one bar getting drunk. You know? That's right. That sounds like a joke. Too many preachers in one bar. That could be a right? <laughs> but, you know, so I... these three preachers walk into a bar. <laughs> what I was getting at is I, I would go... I play pool a lot. Um, I, I grew up down there um, playing in the pools with these... with the You know, the older guys, they've been playing for years. They're all drunk and stuff. We'd hustle them for money when I was younger. But this song would be playing all the time in the pool hall. I would probably hear it, you know... At least four, four to five times a night down there when I was probably 13, 14, you know. Uh, so to me, like, again, like I said, with music, that's why I like when you come up with this concept of strange frequencies, I really loved it, you know. Um, music, just like movies, brings people together or puts you and yourself into a different time. And it, it just, it's nostalgic. And um, this song here, man, I can't tell you how many times I've won a lot of money, like, off of drunk guys <laughs> playing a bunch of drunk guys. This is like the soundtrack to a pool hall, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So from there we go to number three DT. I had uh, before we did this podcast, I hadn't actually heard the full album. I never owned it or what have you. I had never heard of the song. So I had to immediately look it up and look into it. I don't think there's a lot to talk about this one. It's an instrumental. It's it's an instrumental. It's instrumental. To me, there's another instrumental that comes later that I thought was of substance. This one I honestly thought was just album filler, to be honest. So, okay. So here's what I'm going to, here's what I'm going to say on this. And this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Got three seconds. I think that they put this, put this in there because if you listen to dt it is a slower instrumental it kind of winds you down and but I it think sounds like an unfinished song it, it does it does and i think what they the, their placement of this song was to kind of they've ramped you up and now they want to pull you back a little bit it's perfect it, you know and they want to slow down the pacing of the movie a little bit you know, before they really shove it down your throat. And I almost wonder yeah. if they, did they record it on purpose? Cause they knew they needed interlude songs in the film. Well, and I That's, think that, I think you're on to something there, Bill. I, DT to me sounds like, yes, you've been asked to write new music. That's going to go with the film. And once you've done who made who you've, you've encapsulated the entire theme of maximum overdrive, right? It's not like you can make another two, two songs that are absolutely about that film. So yeah, DT almost seems like 
an attempt to have score music, but done by ACDC, you know? Well, I mean? that's, a, yeah. And that's a hundred percent. And what's cool about it is, is that, you know, they, they, they killed it. Cause if you, we've all watched a movie, however many times, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, but that scene when, when, when he's, when he's, you know, riding through, mm-hmm. you know, looking at all the stuff, you see all the stuff, yeah. like it, it's a perfect, ACDC nailed it. I mean, uh, what better way to, uh, I think it's perfect that they did it like yeah. that. But I think that it's they, perfect. It's perfect for the movie. But as yes, a piece, as yes. a piece of music, yeah. I, it's not much. It doesn't ring my bell. But that's true of like almost any time you've got even a, a big band doing something like this. I mean, even look at like Queen's Highlander soundtrack. There's one or two things on there where you're like, it doesn't work as well yeah. when it's outside the context of the film. You know? Yeah. 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 So I think we can skip over to Sink the Pink. So who wants to get to a deep <laughs> philosophical? Discussion. I'll get real. I'll get real deep with Sync the PG <laughs> guys, Phantom Galaxy. You guys cannot have us on this show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is a family friendly oh, horror chronicle. It's like a. It's like an 1800s prospector. You just keep sifting through, and we do get gold. <laughs> just a lot of sifting. Well, I mean, I'll let you know what, Bill. I'll let you start off with this one since it's your show, and I got to figure well, out where well, I'm supposed to go with this. All, all I was, all I was going to say about go. this song is it's it's snappy. It kind of grabs you by the cojones <laughs> and takes you on a ride, but it but it follows the it follows the ACDC pattern. Like there's a short story, do the chorus, repeat, and that's what this song is. It does grab you and pull you in. You're right, Bill. That's it. Yes. See, I was be- I was going above board. I didn't go to the gutter yet. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Cerebral. Gerald, Gerald, as a musician, is this a tricky song to play? Uh, you know, I don't know. I've never tried to play it, to be honest with you. But sitting here thinking, running through it uh, in my head, there's, uh, there's a few segments on there that may be a little weird, especially with what Angus is doing on the on the guitar <laughs> yeah uh i was gonna say is this something you'd play with yourself uh <laughs> not if you're thinking it no um but <laughs> ryan's fired uh <laughs> um you know but the way malcolm lays down the baseline in this song is pretty straightforward and it gives it a lot of sustenance and groove I will say for a four minute song, it's kind of, it's very consistent in its pacing. Yeah. Yeah. Very. All right. So I think we've hit the depths. Unless Nathan, <laughs> is there anything else you really want to include we've in ruined this? That no, song. But this yep. was a very fun one when you're like a middle school kid and you get this album and you're like sitting there listening to it and then you're like, Oh yeah, okay. No, no, this, is one, this is one of those songs when you're ten, you say, Dad, what does this mean? He says, Son, wait three more years. Somebody learned things from health class and <laughs> yeah, I learned it from yeah, well, yeah. too. What does it matter? <laughs> You know what's funny is we say this and we're sitting here talking about this, but I mean, we got kids now walking around singing Cardi B. So yeah, uh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> it definitely right. could get worse. Yeah, I've had I, I've had many a student now. Like as being a teacher, I'm teaching virtually right now because we're hit pretty bad. And uh, can I, Mr. V, can we play ACDC? God bless you. I'd love to play Highway to Hell, but no. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it, you know we I, say I, that. I was going to say, I teach at a Catholic school. That is not going to happen at this moment. <laughs> Jack Black did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My son started singing something the other day because they were talking about something and and uh, something about church or something. And Johnny ran by and just started singing, Ah, wait. Hell. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> well, but, um, 
Oh, now that I, song is very easy to play. Yeah, I, and they put yeah. them. You funny? They put all these songs like ACDC is almost quaint by now standards, right? Like they put these songs in like Pixar movies and in like oh, yeah. you know yeah. Dream, oh, not yeah. Pixar, uh, DreamWorks movies. I think uh, you know there's two or three of them, and I've heard Highway to Hell playing in like like kid movie trailers. I, I mean, I can yeah. easily see it. If uh, last year my daughter watched Trolls too, oh yeah, and and, yeah. and, and uh, Rocky like a hurricane was on. I'm like, what? Uh-huh. Well, Ozzy Osbourne was in that Ozzy, movie. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, it could be done. Now, to get to number five, five minutes and 51 seconds of Ride On. I'm gonna ride on. Now, we could talk about this song, song for a while. It is the only song on the album, on this album, with the venerable Bond Scott off the Dirty Deeds Done Cheap album. Guys, I absolutely adore this song. It is, uh, yeah, it, yeah, is an, it is an amazing song. It is the only song on this that isn't a, you know, a hair razor toe tapper. It's like it's a about, ballad, really. It's, it's a it, it really ballad. is, but it, it makes you move. I mean, it's yeah. got so it's, much groove and feeling to it. It does, but everybody has know? been there where they've had a few too many drinks. They've lost the girl. They've been drunk. They've kind of... Are we talking fall- about the show right now? <laughs> <laughs> but it's got a piece to the show the it. drunk or the girl? Which one is it? <laughs> I don't understand uh, the metaphor. A little bit of both here. <laughs> But but it's got a beat to it. You can relate to it. And you can tell he's talking from the soul and from the heart. And if you're a man or a woman, you just, you love this song. You know, and I mean, it's got lyrics uh, where he realizes he screwed up. He realizes yeah. that he was the reason the relationship broke up. But he's still not set in his way. He's so set in his ways. He ain't going to change the way he lives. He just hopes he can find a girl to kind of accept who he is. And it's just an amazing, an amazing song. I don't know what you guys thought. Yeah, I mean. I, I love the song. Go ahead. Absolutely love it. it it's probably, I, I can't say it's my favorite song on the soundtrack, um, but just the, the feeling behind it. Uh, just the feeling behind it is just that. Ah, just everything about it. I love Bond's voice on this, and just I love the pacing. I love the yeah. Pacing. I mean, it it just gives you that feeling of all right. What you know? What what am I going to do now? I've lost everything. You know. Yeah. You know, it, and and Nathan, do? when you when I'm you right edit on. this, when you edit this, Nathan, this is the one song you're going to use your minute and a half of the song on. No, absolutely. I think it is the best song probably on the album, and. But to go back when we were talking about it, the thing that separates this from maybe some other songs is there's a sincerity to the sadness. You know what I mean? It isn't just sort of like, 
look how somber I am. It has emotion to it. And it, it more like a blues song, right? Like it's closer to a blues song than it is a dirge. And, and what I like about it is he knows that he messed up, but he's still going to go onto another red light street. He knows his, you know, like it's, it's almost, it's just downbeat yet upbeat. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. Well, you know, uh, again, for me, this song, I love just like, you know, you guys said, I absolutely love this song. Um, it brings me to a time when I mean this is a cool this song here or something like I said I love it when it's super nice outside you got a long drive or you're just driving home from work you roll your windows down you got that cool that that air coming in you got this playing mm-hmm. it's just everything's good yeah. now uh, Ryan Ryan I'm in my head I'm thinking you're you're driving an iRock yeah well actually is a seventy nine RS Camaro Camaro nice. there you go. 79, first vehicle I ever bought, 79 RS Camaro. And um, I guarantee, yep, He's I was driving, driving something that sounds like rock. I was driving that, <laughs> and, then, and then I got me an 85 Silverado short bed, four drive, baby. But, yo, Camaro, straight up, driving a freaking fire engine red, 79 RS, leaving Shoney's that I just got done working after I got off school, working at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, getting off there, headed home on the back road, Turn on freaking ride on and roll the windows down, man. Just go. See, for me, it was an 87 GMC Safari. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. That's epic, mine, too. Mine yeah, was an 80, 88 Mustang GT. Yeah, 100 miles an hour down 55 with a homemade speaker in the back. I had an, uh, <laughs> yeah, an 89 Oldsmobile. Ooh, yeah. That thing was Olds. like a tank. Olds, yes, baby. Sir. They're probably still driving. I broke the axles on a dump truck with it, and it died. (laughs) That's a whole different story. And it wasn't a maximum overdrive-like encounter, but still, I was proud. Well, you should should try driving uh, an 87 Safari when there's three inches of snow and any little slight turn to the front-wheel drive, and you're flying across the road. It's crazy. Oh, come on. You should be trying to drive an 88. It looks like bumper cars, doesn't it, Bill? You should start driving an 88 Mustang. So from there, we go to one of the most iconic ACDC songs, Hell's Bells, off the Back in Black album. Five minutes and 12 seconds. It's essentially an ode to the death of Bon Scott.
It was the first song on the Back in Black album. And I, I wrote down the lyrics. My lightning's flashing across the sky. You're only young, but you're going to die. It, it is, it's one of those, another, it's, it's downbeat, yet it's upbeat. It's cheerful. <laughs> it's, it's a cheerful death song, right? But at the same time, it's a real pump-up song. Like, I've heard this song literally a thousand times. I put it on last night. I couldn't help. I, I didn't get to sleep about 10 minutes earlier. Because yeah. the song was ringing, ringing, and like you can't help it. The blood starts flowing, the heart starts pumping. You hear uh, the bass line of Malcolm. You hear Angus wailing away. You hear Chris Slade on the drum. Like it is go. Well, it's like you, it's like you said earlier, uh, or like I said, and you agree with me. You know, uh, ACDC is a is a song that's a, or is a band that you don't play on low. You turn it on and you turn it up, and. uh so yeah, a hundred percent. If you listen to that or try to go to bed, you're not going to go to no. sleep for a while. No, I, uh, I think I told both of you this. I know I told Bill. Um, I don't know if I told Nathan, but uh, you know, I used to cage fight. I used to be an MMA guy back in the day. Uh, I've heard this song a million times. People walking out to this song uh, as their theme, as their walkout song, and uh, it, um, yeah, it, it definitely gets you in that in that mood. It's crazy how you th- how you said it's a. Um, it's a downer, but it's also an upper. And um, so the lyrics really kind of, you know, somber, but the, the well, song itself brings you up. I, the lyrics are, are really all about uh, I'm personified evil and I'm taking over, you know. And it, that's why this was a perfect song for this film because it, well, I just said personified, but it personified these trucks. That, gotcha. That are that are in there um, is purely and simply to use a line from Halloween evil. Mm. Now, uh, Gerald, from a a musician point of view, it seems like it's laid out relatively simple yet. It's deep to play. I don't know what you, it is. It is. It is a very, very deep song. Um, Simple. uh, There's some rhythm changes in there that are, a little off, but okay. you know, ACDC was known for a lot of that. A lot of time uh, changes of, and things. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of ACDC stuff is like, Oh, you know, people talk about, you know, three core blues and stuff like that, you know, and they had a lot of that in their music, but then you had, uh, Angus just railing over the top of that, you know? So Malcolm had to change up a lot of his three chord progressions mm. to kind of make sense of it you know, of what I found, out, I found out a little bit about the song. You know, you hear the the bell at the beginning. Well, they didn't want it used for, because this is such a meaningful song to them emotionally. They didn't want to use some kind of synth, synth bell or some kind of artificial recording. They used a real bell that they commissioned to be made. And they had actually commissioned this bell to be made and it was going to take longer than they thought. So they went to a, a church in the area and got the recording equipment up there to record the bell banging out. But the birds in the bell were flapping so loudly, it interrupted the banging of the bell. So they actually had to go back and go to the foundry. And the bell that they had originally commissioned was done enough to bang a couple times to record. And oh, man. That's how they did it. Yeah, they it recorded it with cool. Ronnie Lane's cool. uh, thing inside the bell foundry. Yeah. You so, know, and it's, and it's weird because... And I still, to this day, 
it takes a couple bell tolls to realize what I'm listening to. Am I listening to Hell's Bells or am I he- hearing For Whom the Bell Tolls from Metallica? Mm. Because the bell yeah. at the beginning of the, of both of those songs is identical. Yeah. And from there we go to number seven, Shake Your Foundations. <laughs> off the fly on the wall. Sorry to cut you off, Gerald. No, you're fine. You're fine. Were you going in some kind of deep thought? Did you want no, to no, no. expand I've on been that? in deep thought. Hey, night. Gerald never goes into deep thought. <laughs> I've, been in deep, I've been in deep thoughts on Sink the Pink. <laughs> no comment. So yeah. Shake Your Foundations is three minutes and 53 seconds I, I off the fly on the wall. Again, this is one of those ones that's, I wouldn't say it's iconic, but it's a crowd favorite, especially among ECDC fans. It's not a deep song. You know, it's got a steady beat, a heavy drum beat. Uh, Angus kind of takes a backseat in this one. And it's about a guy who fancies a girl at the bar, leaves with her, and they have sweaty sex. That's basically what it is. Uh, and you get that iconic, I, I, yo. And that's what you get out of the song. I don't know what yeah. you guys think about yeah. this one. Yeah, like you said, this one's a feel-good song. It's a great party it's song. It's just a party song, yeah. yeah. You know, it's one that, uh, I, again, I've heard a million times in the bars, you know. Uh, it's one of those songs that gets the girls up, you know. Did we need to have a party in the middle of Maximum Overdrive? Maybe we did. Well, you know, I think for this one, uh, and we'll get into it with the movie, you know, but this whole soundtrack just plays so well with the movie that yeah. um, it's, it's kind of, cool to go with the songs first and then going to diving into those and then getting into the movie and how well it all plays together. It came together good. But if, um, if I recall correctly, when this song is played in the movie, it's when the truck is going through the front of the diner. So it made yeah, sense yeah. to use it at that point. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, yeah, sacred foundations. There it is. Exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's plowing that building. It's plowing through. <laughs> You have, any, you have any thoughts on that, uh, Nathan, on this song? I kind of want to keep for the movie because you guys are all right. Okay. On. I mean. All right. We'll bypass till the movie. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, did you have, or, or Nathan, sorry. Uh, Gerald, did you have anything on Shake Your Foundations? No, no, no. Just great song. I, you know, I agree with you guys. It's a, it's one of those party songs that we've heard for years. Um, I, and it really makes the women want to get up and shake. Yep. Yeah, that's, it's just a, you know, the guys like it because it's a boot shaker and the girls like it because uh-huh. they can dance. That's basically what it is. A Number eight, chase the booty shaker. Booty shaker. <laughs> Nobody wants to see me shaking my booty. Maybe my boots, but not my booty. Uh, Number Bro eight. Show. <laughs> Bro show. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, chase the ace is the instrumental three minutes and one second. I didn't know this song prior to doing this podcast either. It's an instrumental obviously done strictly for this soundtrack and for the movie, for the purposes of using it in the, in the movie. But I will say this, I like it a lot more than DT. I think it's a good little rocker and it's a legitimate instrumental song that it's a little rough around the edges, but with a little bit of work could be made into a longer form and a really good song. Um, I don't yeah, know what, yeah, yeah. what, what yeah. you guys thought about that. Yeah, I, I could see, it. you know, maybe if they took Chase the Ace and DT and put them together, 
Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. That would be awkward. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but could you not see them maybe Chase the Ace being kind of the middle stanza of a song and maybe something on either end of it? Yeah, I yeah. think I think that uh, this, I th- even with um, DT, they could have put lyrics over that and done some more with mm-hmm. it. You know, um, this but is for the film though. They didn't exactly need to do that. well, exactly. But he's he's talking about you know possibly doing something else with it, and hundred percent they could. You know, um, it's ACDC. Of course, they they probably could have done anything with it. But yet. this one seemed to have a bit more humph to it. A oh, definitely, yeah. well, definitely for yeah. sure. This was one of those songs that Angus Young is like, hey, I got this really kick-ass song, and we need to put it somewhere. Yeah. You know? Got this groove we need to put here. If they really uh, wanted to go full, let them make the score, the, both DT and Chase Eves feel like, you know, anytime you have anybody do a score, whether it's uh, like a rock band or you have like, you know, uh, James Horner or somebody doing a score for like Braveheart, you know, that score goes on, you know, you have what, like an hour or something of music, and then, of course, three hours of movie. But when you really distill soundtracks, you usually, even John Williams, usually have a main theme that lasts, what, like between three to four minutes, and you might have two or three other themes. It almost feels like there was playing with the concept of could these be the themes for the film, you know, and they didn't really go any further. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and and this concept was was really unheard of, you know, I mean you had some bands do some stuff, you know, like think about Pink Floyd's the wall. Okay. They put out this great album right? and they did a, a fantastically strange movie about it. This, they had a movie and they put this fantastic soundtrack to it, but they used a single band to do all the music. And, you know, I think that goes back to what you guys said earlier was Stephen King's love for ACDC. And cocaine. And cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. just allergies. Yeah. It's just allergies. <laughs> Jeez, no, I just ate a powdered donut. Yeah. <laughs> a damn Boston cream. That's, that, that's funny because I've used that phrase before. <laughs> Oh. I won't. I won't even dig deep on that one. No, so I, no it. it's so. not worth it. I, I think we've. I think we've dissected Chase the Ace about as much as we can. Yes. And so the the album finishes on one of the strongest songs in their entire catalog, yes. in the quote unquote canon of ACDC. Mm-hmm. The five minute and fifty three seconds, the longest song on the album. For those about to rock, we salute you.
And as someone who's seen them live on multiple occasions, this is the song you're not going to leave the concert until you hear them play this song. It's an absolute literal banger. Yes. This is when I start heading to the car. And it's, it, I want to get out before everybody else. <laughs> so once they finish uh, Highway to Hell, you're gone because you don't want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, There's some great stories to this. For anybody that hasn't heard the song, please do. Crank it. It's a great little, basically the essence of the song is rock and roll is never going to die. For those that keep plowing it out, because we're in a, a stage right now in the last five, ten years where rock and roll is kind of really, you know, below country below rap, below electronica. We're kind of in a lull right now. You put this song on and the Who's Long Live Rock and tell everybody else to bugger off because this is one of those kind of songs. It The booming canon it, that opens it, the guitar riff, the biting lyrics, this is an anthem, I think, that goes ahead of You Shook Me All Night Long. I don't know what you guys yeah. think. Yeah, absolutely. This is an ACDC staple. You cannot be a fan of ACDC and not just absolutely love this song. This song is the antithesis of ACDC. And I, I think this is a song that Bon Scott would have no problem singing. No, not at all. I don't, I honestly, I don't think there's any of their new stuff. I say new, you know, yeah. Post Bon Scott that, that he would have had a problem. Well, think about like this, you know, covering lyrically. They, got someone to replace bon scott yeah he would have been the one there you know so uh this song for me like you guys said this is one of my favorite acdc songs period one of my favorite songs as a matter of fact this song is was the song i walked out to my first fight uh in the cage so this this song is um his first fight in the wet paper bag. Yes, and I lost. But <laughs> no, this song, um, it it just gets it this song digs into you. It digs yeah. into you, it catches you right off the bat, man. As soon as you hear stand up and be counted. I mean, it yeah. just gets you. And, you know, for me, it, it I mean, I'm getting antsy right now just thinking about it. I'm gonna blast this on the way home. That's what else gonna happen. <laughs> Sure. Do you have Do you have any uh, thoughts on this song, Nathan? I'm sure you have a few. No, it's great. It's awesome. You know, it's one of their one of their best. And again, I had never heard it except pieces of you know probably probably heard it on the radio. But the album and having the album where I really became acquainted with it, so it's all tied again. It even though most people probably had heard it prior to Maximum Overdrive for me. Maximum Overdrive was the gateway, so it, it's forever tied there. It might as well have been part of the original soundtrack. You know what I mean? And there, I, I heard some great stories of when they shut, shoot the cannons off. And for anybody listening who didn't know, they are legit cannons that they're shooting off. <laughs> and uh, the let's just say the gunpowder has the gunpowder has sparked into Malcolm's front chest of his shirt. It has uh, it has touched the arms of Brian Johnson as he's singing. They got through the song, but I'm sure there's a few body burns as a result of this oh, song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it, it's an absolute. I mean, you give me my top thirty all time songs. Period, and it's right up there. Like it's. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, and and I dare. There's a lot of songs on this album that are that would be in my top thirty list. 
I, I dare any red-blooded male or female that likes rock and roll not to bang your head for the second half of this song. You physically oh, can't yeah. do it. You physically yeah, it, can't do it. So that, that finishes off the album, boys. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to bring up about the album? No, I think you've pretty much covered it I all. mean, once we get into the, you know, the movie itself, just the way this album All al- of this was going to come back up. The way this the way this album played out in the film was just perfect. It's so. like a bad penny, it's just going to keep popping up. <laughs> or crabs. Or oh yeah. Yeah, it's sons of <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know right now there's a crab shortage. Don't don't just don't. <laughs> my wife and had my wife and I had seafood last night, and one of the things she really likes is crab dip, and they were out of it because apparently there's a nationwide crab shortage. Come to Maryland. I said you need to go back to the 1980s. <laughs> we had plenty. Uh, Alrighty, so at this point, we are going to transition as successfully or unsuccessfully as I can do so. Smooth transition. Smooth operator. Oh, Shade. How are we getting Shade? What is happening? Oh, that was Bullet Boys. I'm sorry. Sorry. We're going to go into Maximum Overdrive, the movie. If it, if there's anybody listening who has not heard the LP for this, please, please do yourself a favor. Get your Spotify. Get your uh, actual album. Get your CD, your cassette, your... 45 get your, whatever. get your credit card buy this thing it's a yeah phenomenal album. absolutely you're you're gonna your neighbors may not like it but the heck with them so the movie maximum overdrive 1986 there's a lot of backstory it was based on loosely a short story by stephen king called trucks and stephen king prior to this had been known to be in many movies as a bit performer. He does his little uh, cameos in them. You know, I mean, it's a drinking game. Try to get a a movie of a Stephen King book and not find Stephen. Like he's in it at some point. This is one of my favorites. He uh, (laughs) he took a lot of, took a lot of uh, props from, you know, like uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Hitchcock, Hitchcock was in yeah. every movie that he ever made. Yeah, Hitchcock. Know? And like Romero would make the odd, you know, pop in and out. An appearance. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and Quentin uh, Tarantino. Stan Lee. Stan Lee makes an appearance in every movie. He's He was a part Not of anymore. <laughs> he still does. <laughs> and like do. Quentin, they put him in there digitally. And like Quentin Tarantino kind of jumped on it, onto it and stuff. But prior to this, he had never directed anything. No. And doing the research, the only other time after this that Stephen King did any directing, he was the third unit director for three episodes of the Shining miniseries in 87. Mm. So he actually did it a year later. But, you know, he, he was the third director, which means I didn't even know they had third directors. So <laughs> not a year later, he did uh, it 97. Or sorry, 97. Uh, sorry, And yeah. I think Mick Garris was the director on that one. And Mick Garris done a Mick lot of Garris. Stephen King's thing. And, you know, Mick Garris is a guy who probably works pretty closely. So King, it was probably more like he just had King there the whole time, you know. And like, <laughs> just stand by this camera. <laughs> yeah. Just just it's give him a support. credit. Give him a credit yeah. for hanging around. Yeah. Well, so, and so, I could see Mick Garris doing that. I mean, yeah, you know, absolutely. look at everything yeah. that he's done. Because, I mean, he would have been whispered into his ear, does this look good? Is this kind of your vision? And so they basically give him a directing credit, even though he probably never touched a camera. Stephen uh, King, like, this director just called me an asshole. You took my glory. I hate you. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a director. 
<laughs> so so this film is what you might consider an ensemble cast although the lead gets a lot of the screen time it is a large it's it harkens back to one of those 70s disaster movies that have a thousand people in it or those old westerns that had a whole whack of people yeah like an Irwin allen feel there for a little bit yeah you know like you know um any one of those Steve McQueen Westerns or Yul Brenner Westerns that have a thousand people in it. Like this is kind of that kind of feel in terms of ensemble cast. The lead actor is Emilio Estevez, who to this point was coming off, you know, he was pretty strong at this point. He was coming off St. Elmo's Fire, The Breakfast Club. He had done the, the, Repo, the Repo Man. Yes. You know, yes. he was oh. Repo Man. You guys remember the segment he did in that movie Nightmares? Nightmares, yes, the video uh, game. Bishop of Battle. And it makes and then who made who's got this reference to the video game. So yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And and, 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 by the way. And of course it's Martin Sheen's son. So, you know, he's 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 kind of at that point where he's with the Brack rat or they call him the Brat Pack. Brat Pack. Andrew McCarthy yeah. and Molly Ringwald yeah. and Ali Sheedy and you know Judge Judd Ryan. Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson, sorry. Yeah, all those, you know, so he's he's kind of right there. He's he's on the precipice of young guns. You know, let's just put it yeah. that way. Uh, you've got uh but you've also got a couple decent uh actors and actresses oh, yeah. kind of behind him. You got Pat Hingle. Who, you know, you're watching Pat Hingle and you're like, where do you know? He's one of those actors who's been in a thousand things, but it's tough to pin down which. Uh-huh. You know, I, I know him most from. one of from those he- Jeffrey Lewis types. Yeah. Or uh, Clint Howard. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I know him mostly probably from Hang 'em High. Mm-hmm. Yes. Back in the day. But I mean, he yes. also played in um, Commissioner Gordon in Batman. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember him from Brewster's Millions. He was in that film with oh Candy yeah and, with uh, Richard Pryor mm-hmm. Pryor and John Candy and those guys yeah John Candy yeah um, you had a, a young Laura Harrington who prior to this uh, was Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai before or after this before was it before yeah. okay and then she did What's Eating Gilbert Grape yep yeah, yeah. man talk about a weird movie. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, that's Both that, that is and a, Gilbert Grape are weird movies. Actually. Yeah. yeah, I was going to yeah, say, yeah, which yeah. one are you talking about? Maybe she was just into well, weird shit. <laughs> Buckaroo Banzai is a VOD type movie. V- Buckaroo, you're, you're talking, Buckaroo Banzai paired with Repo Man is going to have to be an episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get these two gentlemen and then Matt and Jackson, and we'll have like a six-way talk about this. this oh, God, I love six ways. <laughs> It'll be the final episode of the podcast. No matter, no matter when it ends up airing. Season finale. <laughs> You've got another name that you might not know the name, but you know the voice. You got Yeardley, Yeardley Smith. Yeah. Lisa, Lisa Simpson. Lisa Curtis? Simpson. Curtis. Is Curtis. Is he dead? Curtis. <laughs> Curtis, you asshole. Get me out of this car. Curtis. But she was all, I also remember her. She was on uh, Dharma and Greg. She had a, yeah. a, oh, yeah. a role yeah. in that film. And, the, and, and there's a bunch of them. I won't name them all up. But the other one I made note of that I knew of was Frankie Faison. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. As the as the the kind of irreverent trucker, I remember him from Coming to America. Yeah, he's been a ton. Oh of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ton of stuff. I I love him as an actor. He, he does such a great job. And, and Nathan Nathan will like this. I also made note that he was in Free Jack. Yeah, he was. Mm, and yeah, I, which was another Estevez movie. <laughs> yes, and I noted that Free Jack is now on Amazon Prime. Who else was in Free Jack? 
Was that Mick Super Jagger? Nick, Nick, because Mick Jagger. I saw Free Jack in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> this discussion. All old. <laughs> Ryan just called us all old. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That That's all, right. you saw all the cool movies. What, what's the line of Pierre Trudeau? I've been called worse things by better people. <laughs> yeah. Jack also. I, there's no doubt that are people than me. <laughs> <laughs> Two-time oh, yeah. Academy winner uh, Anthony Hopkins was in Free Jack. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, before I move on, does anybody have any comments or concerns or anything about the casting of this film? I, no, like you said, you know, Emilio was popping this. Emilio! Emilio! <laughs> the body duck man himself. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, he, he he actually is one of my favorite actors. You know, I, I love the guy. He, um, you know, from Young Guns to Maximum Overdrive, the Mighty Ducks, you know, all kinds of stuff he's been in. Um, Flying V. Flying V. Minute Work with his brother. Minute Work, yeah, him yeah, and Charlie Sheen. his brother, him and his brother. Oh, Minute yeah, Work, yeah. I haven't heard of that in ages. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you right now. And You've seen too much, get a rope. Everybody for a loop. My favorite Emilio Estevez movie was probably St. Elmo's Fire. Great one. That's a good one. Oh, my favorite, my favorite movie of his is, because uh, one of my favorite movies, period, is Breakfast Club. Yeah. That's just. Great movie. That's you guys remember Judgment Night from the nineties? Yes. 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 Yeah, I just watched that. Actually, uh, that's a God, good Tubi. That's a good Tubi film. Or how did does it hold up? Because I was thinking of, I didn't have, I haven't thought about it in years, and it just popped into my head. Like, you know what? It's not. It's not that bad. I mean, you know, for what for Dennis Leary too, right? He's the guy. Who's yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, not that, that bad. Is, that, is that, that the one where the car breaks down? Yeah, it's like a all bad things happen to them in yes. the course of a night kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Survival yeah, yeah. sort of, yeah. Good so movie, though. this is based on, the, as we said before, the short story Trucks, which I think uh, our two guests will get a kick out of. First published in 1973 in Cavalier Magazine. Yes. Which, <laughs> which I'm sure is stuck in somebody's, uh, underneath their mattress at some point. JT's got wait, a couple wait. of those. Cavalier? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a Cavalier under my mattress, but there may have been some, uh, you know, cherries and some wheeze and yeah, some. So uh, I was more of a high society guy. You know? High society. Oh gosh. <laughs> this episode. <laughs> this episode is taking a bad turn. Yeah, okay. King actually so, talks about in the introduction to Night Shift, which is the collection that Trucks is in. He yeah. he talks about what a weird kind of experience all that was, where you're pushing in between all the like dirty old men at the newsstand <laughs> to get the magazine that has your story in it. So you could probably go home and show it to your wife. Well, and the thing is <laughs> fighting through, I'm trying to buy like seven of them at a time. They're like, Holy crap. What are you? <laughs> Don't worry guys. This one's for my mom. <laughs> this guy's going to be sore. When this one's going up on the refrigerator. <laughs> This is going up on the staff. (laughs) (laughs) And this was produced uh, famously by Dino De Laurentiis. As many masterpieces have been. As many, you know, and we could do a whole episode just on Dino. He's a fascinating individual and there's all kinds of stories with him. I I love how this story opens. The movie opens and I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I had it correctly. It says on June 19th, 1987, the Earth passed into the extra, extraordinary diffused tail of Ray M, a rogue comet. According to astronomical calculations, the planet would remain in the tail of the comet for the next eight days, five hours, 29 minutes, 
and 23 seconds. So essentially the earth is getting caught into this tail of this comet and it's sucked into it for the next eight days. That's kind of, and it, this comet affects the mechanical movements and calculations and goings on of things. I don't now. Do they explain, is it kind of just this town or is it the whole world that having this impact? Well, the plot for the movie was supposed to be all the machines. But and that's what's so great about this movie is that it's so shoddy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, they just focus on this one small town and this what yeah. well, really, they just focus on the truck stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know and just like yeah, we'll we'll get further into it. <laughs> yeah. I, has anyone here read the short story? No. I have not, no. Yeah, me neither. I've I've read the short story and and Bill, you mentioned the beginning of oh. kind of yeah, I, I've read I, I've read Night Shift, so at yeah. some point I would have read it, but it's going back thirty five years. Um, in the short story, which is actually it is it's pretty well based on it. It's just that, of course, the movie has to sort of expand and uh, build in personality to these machines, and so they, of course they have to have a villain, which is the, you know we'll get into that with the goblin truck and all of that, and a kind of primary showdown. But the story does the story specifically hinges on and so does the movie right really right up to the end and i guess we'll talk about that kind of weird ending you know the way they kind of end that is there's yeah. a sensibility and king does this was doing this a lot at the time where he introduces this concept and he almost never necessarily comes down on a side where the where the characters don't know how much of the world is given over to this the mist is another example that in the short story yes. form the mist story ultimately ends with the characters not knowing where the perimeter of the mist actually ends or if it even does end. And trucks has a very interesting ending because it's implied that the machines are coming from all around, right? It towards the end of this to this truck stop and who knows where, how far their reach is. And there's a point when I, the main protagonist of that story has almost kind of given up and he looks into the sky and he, he's not sure whether to feel hope or nice. He's a, he sees airplane flying overhead and he says, I wish I could believe there were people in that. Yeah. <laughs> there were yeah. people flying that plane. Yeah. You know, it's, it, this is either a sign that, hey, things are uh, maybe aren't as bad as I think they are, or they've just gotten a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say the way I, the way I kind of intend on doing this is we don't have to go blow by blow over every scene or anything, but just oh, yeah, yeah. talk about the highlights. So it's set in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I should ask Greg if he knows where this stop is. Now, this truck stop was manufactured. It wasn't an actual truck stop. But as the story goes, it was done so well that trucks would stop up and ask for food. You know, God, Bill, you just ruined the whole movie. Oh, <laughs> Not a real truck stop? No. Oh, you're, you're, all your, your thoughts and your, and your hopes and desires were just dashed with that. I thought I had been to Dixie Boy Truck Stop. <laughs> You probably. I'm not going where I was going to go. I'm oh no! Conversation. No. <laughs> so the oh, the, mo the, the movie opens with this green haze of a comet in the sky, and this bridge. How this podcast open. The bridge. <laughs> the bridge should open. The bridge is opening when the stoplight says go, and all well, the, the drivers are like, "What the heck is going on?" Yeah. And yeah. And, um, you know, this is where you start seeing the machines doing its own thing. It goes through the slow process of the buttons being pushed, levers being pulled, mm. this and that, you know? Uh, and, um, then you got, 
you know, the bridge opening up and their coursers cars trying to get across and people doing whatever. And, and did you notice but, one of the bands was an ACDC yeah. van? <laughs> ACDC yeah, yeah. van. It guy's like, far out, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like we said, uh, the, at the beginning of this, the machines are doing whatever. And like, uh, my, I, my, I love the scene with King's cameo. Yeah. You know, he's got, yeah. you got the you got the freaking. We first of all, you see the uh, reader and it's saying "f you" across the yeah, reader. You yeah, know, f you. Yeah, and then you see. Uh, hey, honey, this machine just <laughs> called me an asshole. Honey, get over here. This machine just called me an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Love it. Uh, come here. What do you say? Come over here, sugar pie, or something like yeah. that. <laughs> I love it, dude. Ridiculous. And essentially, what happens in the first ten minutes is all that you're noticing: all these machines and mechanical devices aren't acting the way they should be, and they're kind of getting a life of their own. And we're taken to this truck stop, the Dixie Boy. The pop machine and, is such a good scene. Oh yeah. So <laughs> oh, you do. Yeah. So there's one scene where this little league team has just finished its game. It's, it's they won the game, and their coach is giving them some Coca Cola. They go to the machine, and it pops them in the groin, and the kids are all laughing their heads off. And then it pops someone in the head, and you physically see the mark. I and mean, start, launching them. Yeah, yeah launching them. It's like it's a uh, full force. You know, do the do. <laughs> it's a bam. <laughs> Um, and, and 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 I think it, if I recall, two or three of them get knocked down as well. I think the oh, dude, yeah. this I think is, the dude did them. Yeah, this this scene here is awesome. Like as far as horror fans go, this scene's awesome because you see all these kids running and stuff, and you get to meet one of the boys. You know, kids are running, but then like you see one of those uh, pavement rollers, uh, steam rollers <laughs> yeah. go, and it just rolls over this freaking kid, man. And, and I have a good story about that, but we'll get to that. At well, the on end. a side, you know that Stephen King coached Little League. Do you think he he ever gave his kids coke? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. But um, bump. Well, why do you think they led the league? Why do you think they led the league in stolen bases? <laughs> and stolen watches and stolen wallets. <laughs> they were like Ricky. You know, but, they were like Ricky Henderson out there flying between yeah. the fly flying. You know, look flying at that! You've, you've got something as innocent as a soda machine that just wreaks havoc on those freaking dude. I mean, it's straight launching well, these sodas. A, a soda machine, a lawnmower, a um, the electric car, uh, a cutter you know, of the, meat, like the meat c- carver, the meat like, cleave, the, the meat electric cutter. knife. Yeah. You got the. You got the. You got yeah. the dog with the little with the car remote control car in its mouth. Yeah, but don't you think those scenes, those early scenes, and that you go back again? Yeah, the movie can be a little bit of a hot mess. Those scenes are handled pretty well. Like they they build an escalating sense of of like you know you're getting right into it. You know it's it's similar to some of the opening scenes in some of his other movies around this time, like. Children of the Corn, that initial scene before the movie kind of kicks in, where you get yes, all the, the yes. you know, crap is hitting the fan. Yes. I think it's done pretty well. Like you're getting into oh, it. Yeah. You're like, yeah, this is as a kid, you're like, this is what I want to see. What I yeah. like, what what I like about it is there's a lot of characters, but you, you don't get a lot of backstory on them. You're not emotionally invested no. in any of them. If they all get pinged off, who gives a crap? Because they're just there. They, well, Night of the yes. Living Dead is kind of a template here, you know. Really. Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, yeah. Like he obviously plays off Romero. He plays off, you know, a lot of his old stories. He apparently there was a lot of rewrites to this. You almost get the feeling that maybe he's winging it a little bit, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. At some points, and I mean, at a, at a certain point, uh, one of the trucks comes in to get gas, and Duncan gets gasoline sprayed in his face. He's one of the gas jockeys, 
and his son is one of the baseball players riding around town. Things kind of just escalate and build and build and build. I think he does a great job with this as far as um, just introducing the characters, kind of showing what's going on. And then keeping you, I, for as cheesy as we say this movie is, you know, it it, it does keep you drawn in. Um, even to, even now when I watch it, I still I, I like the whole scene when his son's riding through through the uh, subdivision or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And you, he's looking around, he sees all these different ways people are dying, you know. And then as a kid, you get to see the girl hanging out of the uh, bedroom with the uh, was a hair. What was she have the hair dryer? The hair dryer. Yeah, now, yeah, now yeah. quick question. I noticed is the same lady that was hanging out of the front window like that. The lady at the end whose diamond was taken. It looks like the same chick. Oh, oh like they, they, they kept her for that. They too. just kept her for that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, was, it's, her her title is hanging out girl. You know. Yeah, girl hanging out windows. <laughs> like a name of a painting. This is the Edward Hopper girl hangs out a window. <laughs> But, you know, that's just kind of the, the, the go of this movie, the way it was made. Because as, like, cinemaphiles... <laughs> yeah, well, you know, as cinemaphiles, we notice everything. Yeah. So, of course, like, in this movie, like we said, all the machines are supposed to be taken over. But while... Okay, how come their car isn't? How come that car isn't? Well, yeah, um, how, come, how come when the one girl... Uh, sorry, who's the actress? Uh, Laura Harrington. Her radio in that car works that she's with the salesman yeah. of the Bible, but the one in the yeah. diner doesn't work. Yeah. Like, there's, there's some inconsistencies there. Well, and not yeah. only that, but then you got like uh, the machine gun. It's like, okay, I uh, why is the machine gun shooting though? Right. <laughs> I don't understand yeah. what's going on. Well, because it's a machine. Right. I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure if you look real close, you can see the fishing wire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys ever see, uh, I think it was a, maybe it was a robot chicken skit or maybe it was, I, maybe actually it was family guy. I can't remember where they have Stephen King and his editor is like, I need, you have a new idea, Steve. And he's like, uh, and he's like, it's worth a lot of money. And he like looks around. He's like, let's do a story about a killer lamp. You know, he's like looking around. <laughs> yeah. and there's, a, there's a certain feeling with some of these Stephen King stories, particularly, you know, and, and I get it with trucks. Like it's a short story. He's trying to bang on one basic tone, this one idea. What a creepy idea. You know, the mist is the same way. Uh, he said he wrote he, he wrote the mist ever walk after a big storm. He walked through his kids in the grocery store and he thought, what if a pterodactyl was flying down the meat aisle? You know, that kind of deal. And yeah. similar with trucks, when you start to pull the, the, the threads on this or decide to make a feature film out of it, it's suddenly like, well, what is this really? What's really happening here? Because the short story is very vague and you get the idea that there is some sort of, and the, and the movie kind of does that towards the very end, but there's that maybe there's an alien intelligence at work here that has, that is slowly waking everything up, you know, so that things are gaining either uh, marginal levels of sentience a little bit at a time, or there's an overarching puppet master that is controlling, you know, almost like a Skynet intelligence that is networked yeah. throughout these machines. But the neither the short story nor the movie ever goes into that because you'd have to really no. commit to it, you know? I guess we should say right now, anybody listening who hasn't seen this, we're going to spoil the heck out of this. It's so. really oh, kind yeah, of hard yeah, to yeah. spoil. Once you, I mean, once you've laid out the idea of what it's about, it kind of, you know, it sort of goes down it that road. It plays itself yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, we get, know, we, oh, sorry, go ahead, DJ. Can, can you imagine Stephen King, what was running through his head where he's like, okay, I just wrote a short story about trucks that come to life and oh my God, they want me to write a two hour movie about this. Hold on. Wait a minute. Well, I got, you know, I, I got to get some more cocaine. I was going to say, but, call Julio. <laughs> Where's Julio? I need my truck. But let's, 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 but let's uh, look at something for a second, because I think it's interesting. I, you know, it, it seems like a, probably when trucks was written, because forget that. I mean, I think trucks might've been pre Christine. He goes on to write a whole novel about it, right? About, yeah, about yeah. a vehicle that's sentient. And then, after that's made, it's sort of like, oh, well, let's let's go back to the drawer, and here's trucks that that I think came first. But look at King and his relationship in terms of his writing to this concept of the machines coming to life. In Night Shift alone, he does that with trucks. He does a story called The Mangler that's about a giant yes. Yes. Uh, machine, yeah. industrial yeah. machine that comes to life, and that gets later made into a movie. And the... Um, Christine is a is a novel all about that, right? But then, mm-hmm. as he goes forward, you see this theme kind of keep popping up in his work. He wrote a story called "From a Buick Eight, which I think is one of his underrated stories. That's about a a Buick that may or may not be a gateway to another dimension. You know, he he Sweet. has these like this kind of concept. Look at the look at the uh, probably at least in the film, and it's it's central to the book. Look at one of the most harrowing and pivotal moments in Pet Cemetery. You know, it's not about a sentient machine, yeah. but it's right. that fear yeah. of this, you know, what this thing can yeah. do and what it does. And it kind of plays through a lot of his work. Even even still, he gets these stories um, where they, you know, sort of anthropomorphic machines or machines that have, you know, blurring that line happens a lot the the original short story for the lawnmower man which is nothing like the movie the lawnmower man features a you know at one point features a kind of a close to what happens in maximum overdrive it's like a sentient lawnmower so now that movie does not hold up (laughs) no no that movie (laughs) i try i tried to watch that like uh a month ago and i'm like uh, that movie is inexplicable (laughs) in its connections to king at all like it's yeah someone said the other day like what's the wild what's the most out there unconnected adaptation and i'm like it's probably close with the lawnmower man (laughs) oh are you guys familiar with the what the short story is no no. Look, well, I think I'm going to spoil it. <laughs> minor, minor no, spoilers here for the Lawnmower Man. The Lawnmower Man short story is a one-off thing that King did, where he had a funny idea that, like, what if the you you called the Lawnmower Man and he shows up and this guy falls asleep or something? He wakes up, he looks out the the outside, and the Lawnmower Man has removed all of his clothes and is crawling around on his belly, eating the grass behind the lawnmower. And the sounds lawnmower- like something. <laughs> Sounds like cocaine to me. <laughs> cocaine. I was gonna say, sounds like a good night. That's what it sounds yeah. like. But what he realizes is it's kind of like this. I don't know. I, I smoked a lot of grass, but I don't know that I really <laughs> need it. Well, and King is like real descriptive. So the guy comes back in and the and the guy's trying not to make eye contact with him because he can see the green like fur of the grass on this guy's teeth. No, when I was doing grass, I wasn't making eye contact with anybody. No, no, no. Particularly, yeah. But Bill knows all about that. The, con- <laughs> the concept is that he's like it's a 
it's a like lawn service run by like the Greek god Pan. So they're all like satyrs or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's meant to be almost like a one off joke. You know, he, he wrote it. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, this is good enough. But it has a lawnmower. The only scene that's all the short story is. It has nothing to do with virtual reality. The only connective <laughs> yeah. tissue between this movie and that one or that movie and the short story is there's a scene where a lawnmower uh, jumps through the window of a building or something and kills somebody like that is it. <laughs> Trust me, you didn't spoil anything. You yeah. saved a lot of people from watching that movie. <laughs> well, again, what I spoiled was a short story. The movie has not a thing to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's already spoiled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the director did that. I had nothing to do with it. Film. Well, I think, you know, I think, I think it was that film that Stephen King decided. I'm always going to have creative control. Well, he just had his name removed. He had nothing to do. Did he? He just that had, was that okay. early '90s, and I think that's yeah, why he liked working true. with Mick Garris. A lot of people, they, you know. Mick Garris, the movies that he's made, they may be not they they're maybe not artistically always as good as some of the other ones, but I think King likes working with them because he's very respectful of what King has written, you know. And he's and King, of course, even when the work turns out great, like The Shining, uh, and I actually like the '97 version too. But the, you know, King, I think, and and probably some of the burnout from some of these movies, like The Shining and all these things being really popular, and then seeing how well his buddies were doing it as well, you know, at the same time, probably what inspired him to try and direct, you know, is looking at, well, hey, if this works out, maybe I don't have to worry about handing over something to a Kubrick or something like that. You yeah. Know? Right. Right. You know, you kind of look at King's, uh, you know, uh, do you call it record or whatever? You know, look at the lawnmower man. Uh, you know, this movie, Maximum Overdrive, Christine, and like you mentioned earlier, the the truck from from Pet Cemetery. You, you kind of wonder what the hell. You know, did King have an issue with mechanical devices or <laughs> or what? You know, it's these cans. He hates these cans. <laughs> <laughs> He wrote that in, is not King. Yeah, in the forward tonight to that movie is King. But, yeah, yeah, in the forward tonight shift, which is again the the collection that this ended up. It was either that or Skeleton Crew. He's talking about like when he was, you know, very early on. He realized that you you develop that fear of your immortality, and once you do that, almost everything you do, there's always the nagging part in the back of your mind, like what if I put the fork in the toaster? What happens? You know? Right. And he's right. kind of said that his approach to horror is always that any situation he's in, it's always like, so it's kind of not like the, the robot chicken <laughs> thing where he's like, Oh, let's write about this. But he even has a short story about a man trapped inside of an outhouse that has fallen over the side of a cliff. And how is he going to get out of it? And <laughs> well, that, that sounds, sounds like a shitty situation. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, when you find out the only way you can go is through the tank. So, uh, oh, God. Yeah. But what sounds like a one-off joke, you know, he writes it to the point where he want, you know, he wants you to consider that because in the back of your mind, the truth of it is, you'd be in a pretty <laughs> you'd be you'd be you would be, you know, that that's when the crap would hit the fan. <laughs> is yeah. if you're in that situation like it seems it sounds funny until you're in it in that oh no moment. You know that uh that moment where all things have aligned against you and i think that's where he does succeed um in, in these stories is when he comes up with this idea and it seems ridiculous when i tell you about the idea the whole book's about a girl handcuffed to the bed and it's like yeah it is but it's gonna freak you out and you're like wait i don't know about that you know yeah i've read that and, one, he, yeah. and he makes it <laughs> 
we may be talking about the same book. And uh, (laughs) it's a magazine. (laughs) Starts with a C and ends in an R. Okay, go on. We're done here. Nothing to see. Move along. (laughs) Well, to get us not the droids you're looking for. Let's go back to hey. Let's go back to the movie. Go back to the movie. In the beginning, we are introduced to the character of Emilio Estevez, Billy who we find out is, uh, I don't know if he's an, an ex-con. He's on some kind of working program. He's a felon, where, yeah. He's yeah. a felon where he's allowed to work in the community, but only through the good graces of of people that will allow them to in their businesses. And Pat Hingle runs the Dixie Boy, and he screws him out of an hour's worth of work, and he knows he's got him, you know, the the uh, animal by the tail because he has to do exactly what he says or he doesn't get the credit for it. He's, he doesn't start off as a very likable person. Hingle, that is. Seems like there's a lot of felons working at this place. Yeah, and, and they all got a star, and then there's like seven or eight of them. Like The only person who might not be are, the, are somebody who owns the place. That might, He might be the only... And we don't even know. He Maybe he is an ex-felon. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> he acts like one. And so I'm going to kind of gloss over a lot of it because eventually what happens is the trucks start coming in, the big rigs, without their owners and they start to circle the, the Dixie boy uh, basically trapping the people there. And it kind of becomes kind of like tremors where they're stuck in this small location and they have to try to either get out or figure out a way to get rid of what's there. And it turns out Pat Hingle has quite the um, collection of weapons. Yeah. It looks like my closet. In his- <laughs> <laughs> like the first thing I wrote down is, where the heck does he get a rocket launcher from? You'd in Nowheresville, North Carolina. He's yeah, like, friends he, with uh, Burt Gummer from Tremors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Burt coming there. No, uh, yeah. And, you know, he, he plays a perfect character, too. He's such an ass in this. He, he's, a, he's an ass, but at a certain point, you're kind of rooting for him. There's a certain point where it kind of turns. Where you can't bump <laughs> where you're kind of like, you know, he's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a person who's a hoarder, a person that's a survivalist. He's a bit of a, but thank God for those people because they're going to get us out of this situation. Yep. You guys just call me if you need me. <laughs> I'll be you speed dialing. Me. He's going to pump, Ryan's going to pump his fist in the air when zombies or alien trucks or flying poodles from Mars, whatever it comes our way. Exactly. Uh, My best hope is for a zombie apocalypse. I know when when crap hits the fan, I'm going to Orion and John Goodman are going to have a spot for me. Oh, you want to hear a cool story since we're talking about music, okay? Uh, I can't remember his name, the lead singer of the Blues Travelers. Oh, John John Popper. Okay, did you hear the story about when he got pulled over? No. So this is awesome. And to my to me, so John Popper gets pulled over by the state patrolman, and this is a true story. You can look it up. He uh, got pulled over, and uh, they asked him, you know, do you have any guns in the vehicle? And he said yes. Um, and they said, well, can we see him? You know, where they at? He said they're in the back. And so they made him go, and they opened up the back, and he was like, okay, I don't see anything back here. He he's in a like a blazer. This is like a 90-something blazer. He literally pushes a button, and these drawers come out from underneath inside the back, and they come down, flip down the sides, and he's got ARs and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. 
underneath his stuff. And the, the state patrolman's like, what are you doing with all this stuff? He's like, I always like to be prepared in case anything happens. And I mean, he literally has an arsenal in the back of his stuff that you have to push a button and these doors flip and open. Yeah. And so it was pretty cool. I was like, holy cow. He said he was just, rested. He had handguns, rifles, a switchblade, and drugs inside of his car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a perfect combination. Dude, the state patrolman's line, the quote was, the sheer amount of weapons and the modifications to the vehicle are not something we see every day. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. <laughs> All I know is I have newfound respect for him, and he he's going to be my back man. No matter oh, what yeah. bar I go to, he's going to be. Well, they, they did mention all the weapons he owns are registered and are transported safely in a legally approved locked cabinet in his vehicle. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So he wasn't breaking the law. He's just ready. Yeah, man. Got to be ready at all times. So one of these trucks that are going around, you get all these trucks coming around off the for, off the freeway and coming in off Wilmington, whatever. But one of them is the iconic Green Goblin from oh, the yes. Spider-Man. It's what is it called? Happy Toys? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, happy Toys truck, but it's got the Green Goblin. But, I mean, there's umpteen ones. There's this almost like a golf cart that's got the gun on it. You've got yeah. gas- <laughs> you've got gasoline trucks. You've got, you know, uh, at one point, Pat Hingle shoots one and toilet paper's flying in the air. TP, yeah, yeah. TP all over the place. you got a so, military so- Jeep with a freaking... No, that's that little goat cart looking thing. I was going to say, now, so... Uh, oh. So, Gerald, were you rooting for Pat Hingle, or did you think he was just an ass? Uh, you know, I I think he was a complete ass. I was really hoping something would happen with him, and you know, a lot of something did and, with, uh, the ner- with the with uh... the girl get out. And, <laughs> and, oh, I uh, totally forgot about that part of it, where uh, uh, Estevez finds a love interest of a girl yeah. that was hitchhiking with a Bible Belt salesman. Who's trying to sell yes. Bibles, even in the even in the midst of all of it, he's still trying to say, "Oh, it's got revelations and it's the best oh, pictures," yeah. and you know. So, yeah. yeah, it's a you know this film. It's just um, like you said in the very beginning of this. Um, it's one where you either love it, you hate it, or it's just somewhere in the middle for you. Well, there's just so much fun in this film. I, I, I love this you know? movie. And to, to, to basically to sum it up is they're stuck in this uh, Dixie Boy diner they got to figure it a way out there's a few odd characters that come in and out of the story they're really inconsequential they have a few lines here and there but the story basically runs through estevez there's some explosions there's some blood there's some there's some element of uh die hard in it where you got to get it get through i i wrote down estevez has truck kinesis where it's telekinesis but he can communicate with the trucks Oh yeah, when he's talking to him, he's like bumping him. Yeah. He's like bumping him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, at one point he goes, I wrote that down. He says, "You tell all your friend the main line's open. I got the best shit on the East Coast, particularly practically uncut." <laughs> this is where they kind of you know I mentioned about leaning into. This is where they do kind of lean into it and kind of like the absurdity of the situation, but. Let me ask you, what, what, who, who does it more successfully, King here or M. Night Shyamalan in The Happening? Oh, geez. <laughs> but with a similarly ludicrous premise. But yes, I think to me, the, the not the problem, but I think the reason it maybe doesn't ultimately come together completely as like, you know, 
something that's really good story-wise is I, I think it's just King's handle with working with the actors, you know, that yeah. the King, he's got the story, he's got the concept and he starts getting into the weird science fiction, of the concept, like when the, the, the machines realize, wait, we do need these human beings. And the people realize, Oh, we're going to be slaves. You know, if we, <laughs> that this isn't going to work out that great for us. And all of that stuff works where where the the glue comes together in a Stephen King story is that he writes for the most part he writes pretty good relatable characters even if they're not very complex even if they're about the five he has about six or seven types right and he just kind of mixes and matches them but he makes them feel like believable people in the stories on on the page and then the good well, yeah. directors do the same you know the Shawshank Redemptions and things like that where they can take these characters and make them really breathe and he just doesn't he doesn't do that i think we can you know i can i feel like a confident saying even though i enjoy a lot of the movie he's far more successful making the trucks characters than he is making the people characters yeah, yeah. i uh i i, I got to tell you just and speaking on the characters um i think that emilio estevez really saved this movie as far as um, with the acting and things, you know, uh, if I mean, there's good actors that could have done it too, but I think he really nailed it. Um, and he was a good pick for the movie. Well, he so brings the energy here, kind of going. It's his Emilio Estevez persona. He just kind of plugs that in, and it would have been yes. a lot more painful with somebody else in there who was maybe trying to act the part or, or follow the direction. Yes, he just kind of goes 100%. Emilio, and that works. But there's exactly. one. Emilio. There's one scene where after he gets basically passed out from pumping the gas into the trucks and he, and he gets taken back by his love interest and he starts rambling on this kind of like diatribe. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? He just goes on and on. And I'm like, where is yeah, that going? He's, he's delusional. He's delusional. Yeah, he's delusional. He's like, she's patting his forehead from the brow of his sweat. And I'm like, it makes no yeah. sense. Whatever he's saying. Well, hundred percent though. You're, you're right, Nathan, you know, it just, uh, he threw his Emilio Estevez in it and just, uh, killed it. I, I, I think he, he really saved the film, you know, um, with how he, how he did it. And, um, also with the only thing that I didn't, it's a corny film. We know that, you know, but the only thing that even remotely annoyed me about it was freaking what's her name's voice oh my oh, god you're smith yeah I, oh yeah my she's wife just... has never seen this movie and i showed her the trailer and she's like lisa simpson like the minute she spoke <laughs> just on the trailer alone <laughs> yeah and i love she's a great actress yeah. you know and she does great i just that that movie is something and, but this has one of those wtf moments where you're like it morse code is going on Yes. What are the chances a 12-year-old who just got his badge in your yeah. Morse code is yeah. sitting in the diner? In a world and... where the trucks are establishing themselves <laughs> as, you know, this is really the prequel to Cars. I don't know if we need to ask questions about... Oh! Yeah. That's a good thought, Nathan. <laughs> Maybe Stephen King directed Cars. That would have been a much better... Cars, movie. based off of <laughs> Maximum Overdrive. Yeah. Well, you know, well, well, wouldn't have that been cool if somewhere in Cars... One of the, uh, that goblin truck could just pass somebody on the highway. Yeah, awesome. just a little cameo with a little bit of ACDC playing as a kid drove by. Yeah, that would have oh, been. Man. I that kept, been I, I, I kept waiting for the truck from Duel to show up, like a, <laughs> yeah. like a showdown. Yeah. But now, now I want to ask a deep question to Gerald. What were your thoughts as Amelia was 
going through the culvert with all the sewage. What were you thinking at that point? You know, I don't know. The, needed a Morgan Freeman voiceover. A lot of thought going into it. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a. It's funny because um, what's whenever they go to you're talking about earlier about being in that uh, outhouse and having to go through the tank, yeah, and that's what and then like he uh they have to go down through the showers or whatever uh, to get over to get underneath across the highway to go. Well, they have to run over to that other building that's like a yeah. well house. Yeah, or it's, something it's or... it's it's the showers. It's the oh, is that it's what the it is? it's okay. the showers in the bathroom. Well, and then whenever they go down, he's also yeah, he goes down theme. <laughs> He, he yeah. drops down there and he goes, uh, man, this stuff stinks. He's like, yeah, shit. <laughs> well, look, look, graveyard chef, but I'm again, don't want to ruin anything oh, love here. That movie. The conclusion of the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, hey, what man, did, and what did that burger, um, that burger uh, menu, what did it ever do to them? Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, he said that's for his, his well, father. You know, and I, think that, I think that plays on every human's, you know, uh, fear of having to waller and feces, feces and but yeah you know, adds yeah. to the atmosphere yeah yeah i mean you know because they come out and they're covered yeah know? and uh now no, or now is that scene metaphorical he's going from the depths of the of the crap to rising up just like Emilio estevez does with the survivors I, that's a good possibility. Good do possibility. I think? Do I think Stephen King put that much thought into this? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's already I, admitted that he was coked out of his mind while he was filming. This, so. I, I love it at the end how he still ties it in and he blames the and, and the Russians get involved like an old sci-fi yes. fiction. Yep. The yeah, Russians still yeah, are they actually shoot down an alien spaceship. That is du- that okay? That's yeah. the one part of the movie where I'm just so dumb, like. Yeah, like yeah. well people there's a lot of dumb parts, yeah, there there like, are dumb but i know. guess the thing is i would have been perfectly happy to leave it with that ambiguous ending like the film yeah, or the yeah, story yeah. i think the idea well, of him looking at the planes and wondering are there people in it it's an awesome that's a, such a cool kind of final note if you're going to leave it ambiguous but if you're going to introduce an alien ufo at least let me see it get shot out of the sky don't make a footnote it says it would be yeah. like the end of godzilla we realized it was a giant atomic monster that we later destroyed you know the end and you're like wait what but or at least reference it at some point right. during was, the story it, oh it, by the way there's an alien well where the hell does yeah. alien come from okay that ending again so so here here's an interesting <laughs> thing that uh <laughs> You know, during the movie, they talk about, you know, and especially towards the end of the film, they talk about they want to escape to an island. Well, the island, the name of the island is Haven. Yes, it's a real it's a real island. Okay, well, here's the deal. There was a TV series called Haven Mm -hmm. uh, that was based off of a Stephen King book, The Colorado Kid. Well, in Haven, in one of their episodes they had an episode where the machines came to life yeah Ah, i think as an homage it was a playback to maximum overdrive because haven which is a fun show actually if you kind of enjoy like x files and twin peaks it was kind of you know it was trying to play into that vein and colorado kid it doesn't have that much there there's a little bit of a crossover with haven but mostly it was just an excuse to get another kind of supernatural show out there but it it was loosely based off of that story yeah, I, you know, but that that is I can't I don't know the name of the island, but there's an island like that, and um, with no there's no like no uh motor vehicles. Yeah, yeah. So all bike, yeah. you get the right bikes, and yeah. everything. I heard it's yeah. really cool to go to. Yeah. You could ride across the whole island and 
a day. So it was funny, Nathan, a while ago you were talking about you made your wife watch the trailer for this. And I just saw this and I never caught it. Uh, just kind of popped up on my screen. The trailer for this film used the uh, John Carpenter, Alan Hallworth score from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. <laughs> I was now, wondering is, which it, one it was because I was like, "There's." I need to go back story. and watch yeah. the trailer for this. Is, 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 that the tra- is that the trailer, the MTV trailer, where Stephen King kind of introduces it? I, no, I don't know. Not don't the know one I saw. Here. Stephen King wasn't okay. introduced in the one I, I just watched. And I think yeah, it's the one Gerald's talking about because it had a... I was like, what synth score is this? And that explains perfectly. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. To go back briefly to the island, you know, that concept of the island. Okay, if we're on the island and the machines can't reach there. Uh, in the 80s, right around this time, they did a, a bunch of horror authors got together and did a book based off of the idea of let's write some stories in the world of Ramiro's dead, dead trilogy at that point, a trilogy, right? I think day of the dead had come out. So it's like, let's get all these different people to write different stories. And it was called, I think the books of the dead and Stephen King wrote a story in there. That's called home delivery. That specifically has the concept of this small little fishing Island that they, when the world goes to crap and the zombies start taking everything over, they realize, well, Hey, we're cut off from everyone. And we have sustainability here, and we have one cemetery on the island. And so let's set up our let's set up our little militia right around the cemetery and wait for the moment that it hits. And then otherwise, we're good until they remembered that. Guess what? A lot of people died at sea. Um, oh yeah! <laughs> so it's really cool. My people. It's a fun story to check out. And it's funny how all those things happen. But that last title card smacks to me of of test screening. Uh, people being disgruntled with the way it's some attempt to salvage it and just throwing that on there. I can't imagine that was initially, I could be wrong, but I, I just feel like that was probably thrown on to the end to give them a quote unquote happy ending, you know, because yeah. you destroy yeah. the goblin truck. What have you achieved? Nothing really. If the world is still overrun. Yeah. It just seemed almost like, yeah, you, as you said, slapdash to put a, a yellow sticky on it. And you're like, what? Yeah. I, yeah. I just we didn't. really need that. Yeah. But anyway, so what they should have done is just back the camera out, you know, from the earth and showed like other places where shit's going chaotic too, you know? Yeah. I mean, by the end of the movie, yeah, it had a lot of faults. It was quirky. Some of the acting was kind of stiff. There was holes the size of Swiss cheese in it, but you kind of got into it. I, I really got into it. And for those who didn't realize I had not until yesterday seen this film in 35 plus years. Wow. Wow. It had been that long. I think I saw it when I was 12 and I don't think I'd seen it since. And so this was, this is why I love doing this podcast. Cause you get to retouch these films that revisit, you haven't seen it, yeah. revisit them, get back to, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14 and, you know what? It has a reputation where either you love it or you just think it's absolute crap. I love it. And so, Meta Max you know, Overdrive is one that really benefits from the from the years since. Like so many things from the '80s look cheesy now, and it's leveled the playing field for that movie a bit because, in a lot of ways, it doesn't seem any cheesier than a lot of other films that were lauded at the time. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, I've seen a lot worse. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. So if we go around, I would give this with a clear conscience. A seven and a half out of 10. That's my rating. And I would say watch it if you haven't, or watch it if you haven't in years. 
that's what I would go with. Okay, I'm gonna go next. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say this. It depends on my mood. Um, this movie is a solid seven, but there are times when I watch this where it's a nine and a half, ten. Sounds like me. You know, I mean, it really just depends on the mood you're in and how many beers you've had, (laughs) or she's had. Hey, Especially more, if you hear "Shake Your Foundation," you look. Oh, foe, man! Yeah, for me, as long uh, as you get yourself to maximum overdrive, you're good. Yeah, I can never have a freaking conversation. Well, you know, it's like <laughs> when Ryan sitting, when Ryan and I sit and watch us film together, you know, it's, it's a freaking ten. We have a blast watching it together. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're watching it by yourself, just in you know the middle of the week, you're kind of like, oh yeah, you know. So. What the hell were they thinking? <laughs> I, I know, I know that, um, like you guys, I know you guys do a lot of ratings and things, which is which is cool. Um, but I think what JT ha- says about it depends on the mood you're in. Yeah, I think it's with everything, though. Yeah, music, yeah, you're everything. Right, yeah. You're right. But uh, overall, overall, no matter what's going on with this movie, um, for me, I give it an eight, an yeah. eight for sure. Um, just because uh, for this, I, I've watched this movie. Once every couple years, probably for sure. Um, sometimes I watch it years in a row, like on Halloween or something. Um, but yeah, I give this one an eight. Uh, just no matter what mood you're in, whatever. I think this is an eight, just because for me, it's it's a nostalgic one. You know, so what, it's cheesy, so, but so uh, Nathan, where are you gonna put your mark down for this one? I'm giving it a three. No, I'm, I'm totally. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Nathan. No. Wow. And, and what you said, um, Ryan, just there about the ratings, there's a kind of thing where I kind of agree with that, where it's like uh, ratings, in a sense, are almost, and, and, and for a while I actually did the professional like film critic thing. It's And you're trying to approach, well, how do I rate this? And ratings to me are sometimes for like, if you've never seen this movie before, you know, if you've seen this movie and you love it, you don't need me to validate it or anything else. Oh right? yeah, right. for sure. Yeah. And, and it's the same way with like, I've had certain experiences that probably make this movie higher than you might find it. But you, know, when you try to find that middle ground, what is it? You know, I, I come down where, where Gerald is, you know, it's a seven for me. I, I, and to me, a seven is a solidly good rating actually. You know, I'm not thinking mm, yeah. it's oh, a yeah. C it's a seven, like it's higher, you know, it's better than a lot of, the similar films from the time frame, it's way better than the sci-fi remake of trucks that they did. Oh, the Timothy Busfield. Oh, awful. It's got an energy to it that fits in with those eighties. And you know, for me, cheesy and campy are not bad words. That's what this movie is. And if it wasn't campy, if it didn't have those scenes of the, of the soda machine attacking him, if it didn't have Emilio Estevez wigging out, it wouldn't be fun. It would be a slog. This is a movie about trucks taking over the world. It, it, if you made a serious, like if you made it more serious than it currently is, I don't think it would work. The last thing I want to say to kind of tie it in with what we we're talking about with ACDC, I think the genius of bringing ACDC in, whether it was sort of intentional or, hey, I just like them, is the way that music is used. And because because most of it was music that people were already familiar with, it gives the trucks character. How hard is it to give those machines character the goblin mask does it perfectly right and it's the green goblin it's an image it's taking pop culture that already exists and giving these things personality when those when the acdc songs are playing and you're getting that kind of rebellious spirit and that personification of evil and all that overblown stuff it's the trucks it's the voice of the trucks right that's 
it, the music isn't representing the survivors. It's representing these trucks that are going to raise hell and run us all down. And what better soundtrack to have for that? You know, watch a steamroller take out a child and all these things that happen. If they didn't have those things, it's that's the genius. He can't give the people that much personality, but the that truck, that truck with the goblin face and the ACDC music in the background, like, um, you know, our, our, our buddy, um, Matt Rawlings over at uh, father and son watch horror. I think he said that the, you know, I guess whoever bought or owns this truck now lives not that far from them. And so every once in a while they see, he sees it coming up on the highway. Yeah. Matt, Hi. I know you're, I know you're listening, Matt. You have to tell the story about how you were driving on the highway and the truck was behind you. And the minute that oh, thing shows dude, up, I mean, that's, yeah, <laughs> right. So that's not an easy feat, I think, to take that story and make it work and make it work. It would have been good as a Twilight Zone, as, as at this time, Amazing Stories was on the air. But without those little flourishes it, and, and that campiness and that kind of goofy energy, I don't think they've gotten gotten you from beginning to end for that hour and a half or however long it runs. Uh with it working, working the way it does. And I do think it works. Yeah. Well, and, and again, that's why I thought this movie was going to be perfect for this, this show, because, um, really the, the music is like you said, a voice in this one that it's a character. Yeah. It, 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 it not only does it move the plot along, it adds to the ambiance, the atmosphere and the storytelling of the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And you look absolutely. at it this way. Would you want to live in a world where maximum overdrive didn't exist? Exactly. No, no 100% no, not. I would not. 100%. So I've just, I've, I did a little bit of research. So I have a few facts on it. You guys want to put yours two cents in. I want to give credit to where I got it from. Uh, the podcast, How Does This Get Made? Uh, had a whole oral history of it. And Dino De Laurentiis. He cannot, he, can, no, he couldn't do it. No. Well, <laughs> Hey, and that's why he's on the show with me. <laughs> Dino De Laurentiis chose North Carolina for two reasons. Uh, he was looking at a magazine called Southern Accents, and he saw a picture of the Orton Plantation with a large estate in uh, North Carolina and thought it looks Southern. So that's why he chose it. He also didn't like, he wasn't a big fan of unions. And North Carolina doesn't force the movie sets to use union hands. So that's another reason why they chose it. Now, one of the reasons that Stephen King's message didn't get across, yes, he was coked up and he was drinking, what have you, but De De Laurentiis hired a mainly Italian crew. (laughs) And so King could not translate his ideas to his assistants. So King is yelling at them to do it this way and the other way, but they didn't know what the heck he was saying. So they just kind of went by their instincts and shot it. So his message wasn't necessarily getting across on film because the people that were functioning as the assistants to the filmmaking wasn't understanding what he was saying. So it didn't, you know what? Yes, he was coked up. Yes, he was drinking. But if there's a communication barrier, the intricacies and nuances of what you want, they weren't going to get. And you're a first time filmmaker. Yeah. And you're a first time filmmaker. Yeah. Cause I always put here, it says King did not know how to direct. He didn't even know where to put the cameras or how the equipment operated. He was dependent upon his assistants who were Italian or Mexican. Right. And not only is he a first time filmmaker, but he's already an established and, you know, successful storyteller in a different venue, which isn't going to work for him here, you know? 
And the other thing that hindered King is by nature, King is an introvert, which is not the type of thing to be if you're a director. You need to have that voice and not be afraid to, hey, Susie, you need to be here. Hey, you need to have your voice heard there. Because if he's kind of keeping it to himself, it's not coming across, right? Now, did you guys know who Stephen King wanted to play in the lead? It wasn't Emilio Estevez. Yes. Yes. Who was it? Oh, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen, who, other than the little intro to Dancing in the Dark, I don't think has ever done any acting in his life, has he? Uh, probably not, yeah. Except for what he's doing now. <laughs> <laughs> now, at the, at, at the same time they were shooting what this. What is he doing they, now? Uh, you know, Ford commercials. <laughs> oh, is he? Okay, there you go. <laughs> You're right. I wasn't forgot. He, wasn't he making, uh, didn't he make an album where he told stories? That guy's with, a model American. <laughs> wasn't he doing something with um, Model Obama? Ford American. Wasn't there something with Obama he was doing? I don't know. Yeah, he's doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get into that too much. Yeah. No. At, at the same time that they were doing this, Dino, Dino was also shooting Blue Velvet. So they would hang out with the same crew and they made some interesting conversation over the commissary. So they might say, uh, and we'll get into this. One yeah, of the, I, bet, I bet one of them was, you won't believe what we're filming over here. <laughs> yeah. And it happened and, at both sets. And, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, and that came from Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now the one, one of the, uh, the, See, fa- no, he should have been the guy that playing the freaking owner of the truck. Yeah. Yeah. Bring David yeah. Lynch in and give him maximum. <laughs> I mean, the thing is he wouldn't even have had to change his wardrobe. It would have just worked. Yeah. In gold <laughs> <laughs> you see, he was pretty outlandish in blue velvet. <laughs> it helped because he could have like taken the Coke burden off of King a little bit. They wouldn't have had as much. <laughs> You only got half as much. <laughs> and, and if King was ever out, he just went into uh, Hopper's pocket, just pulled out. Of Someone's getting shanked. It's all. <laughs> doing it wrong, man. Here, have some weed. <laughs> but in, in the shooting of the film, one of the effects crew damaged an eye when the lawnmower yeah. ran over some wood too close to the camera, and the wood splintered into his iris. And he lost the use of his eye. Yeah, permanent damage. Oh. You're permanent a cinematographer, damage. by the way. Yeah. Wow. And, and this guy was one of the creme de la creme guys in Italy. And he pretty much was, I wouldn't say blackballed, but it gave an excuse for people not to hire the guy. Well, yeah, wow. now he's got no depth person. Well, and, and King was lar- like, the, it was implied that King was kind of re- not responsible like he went, he did it or anything, but like because of the kind of negligence and not knowing what he was doing. Uh, well, the. the, the the, the the guy that got hurt is was first and foremost in his profession, and he kept saying, "You don't need to see the blade yeah. because in the shot you don't see it." But he wanted it to be authentic and blah blah blah. And King never said stop, and the thing just kind of took off and hit the wood, and the guy lost his eye. King admitted in a 2002 interview that he was coked out of his mind during production, yeah. and didn't and didn't really know what he was doing. Ask the man, right? He admits there. that, but <laughs> he says that he he claims he doesn't even remember writing Cujo or the Tommy Knockers. <laughs> I'm gonna start using an excuse wow. for my wife. Yeah, <laughs> but here's the, that excuse for the show. Here's the thing: the people, that episode. The, the people involved, the people involved, openly knew that he was drunk because at 6 a.m. they used to have a roll call to get things going. He was on his first beer at six. By 9:30, he was ten deep. 
in the morning. Yeah. So, so oh, sorry, by eight, by eight, <laughs> by eight <laughs> thirty, he was ten deep. So between the coke and the, I mean, how did he make it till five o'clock? I don't know how. It was the coke. That's what held him. We're we've had it wrong the whole time. <laughs> That's what was saving his whole muse. thing. <laughs> now the other interesting point: if if you really watch the film close, the first part of the film, Laura Harrington wears jeans. Uh, like when she's in with the guy, the, the salesman uh-huh. in the car. She's, Dino De Laurentiis saw the first few reels of the film and said, no, 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 no. You're going to wear a skirt now, honey. Yeah, we <laughs> legs. And, and so like Stephen King kind of wanted her to be kind of a unisexual, you know, didn't matter if you're a man or woman. He She just kind of furthered the plot along. But Dino wanted a little bit more. I don't know if it's sexuality, but he wanted you to know that she was a female. So he made her put the skirt on. Yeah. Because there's that one scene where one of the characters dies and she goes, Oh, my jeans smell like the death of that guy. I got it. That was all made up, rewritten because he had to. Well, so, I could I could see their uh, the way of getting out of that. She probably pissed her pants when that first truck smashed through the. <laughs> or was that Stephen pissing himself after he'd had too much coke and coke <laughs> coke and beers? <laughs> now the website fastrewind.com had an interesting one. It says King had to cut part of the steamroller scene to avoid an X rating. You know where the kid gets run over by the steamroller. He had placed a blood bag near the head of the boy's dummy but the bag burst the wrong way and made it look like his head exploded yes <laughs> he, he loved it but the sensors didn't so he had to cut part of it out oh man that had been perfect so there is some footage on the floor somewhere of the head just blowing right up Dude. nice nice <laughs> hey maybe we'll use that with our uh hey. end of the creeps episode <laughs> <laughs> That is a good one. That's a now, good one. The film was nominated for two Golden Raspberry Awards, including Worst Director and the Worst Actor for Emilio Estevez. What? Yeah. But Worst Actor, to bring it back yeah. around to uh, bring Purple it, Rain yep. and Prince, was Prince won for Under the Cherry Moon. <laughs> nice. The, yeah, the- man. I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> the last the last thing I when I was researching it is if you go to movieweb.com, I said King's son Joan Joe Hill would be interested in directing a reboot of the movie. Uh, he said, cars can now drive themselves, so the sci-fi can be taken out. It can be about the dangers of technology. So his quote is it's a virus in, in the electronics that sets them off. And you have these giant Tesla semi trucks wiping everybody out. There you go. And you can use uh, Nickelback as the. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, see, that's perfect commentary right there, and that's why it would suck. We we disavow them in Canada. So we need we just need a soundtrack that's. <laughs> you guys in the states can keep them. We don't want them back over the we border. We call it minimum underdrive. <laughs> <laughs> Either them or puddle of mud. One of the two. Why don't you get jars of clay while we're at it? <laughs> oh man! Brought to you by Rainbow without Ronnie James Dio. We give it a yeah. spiritual element. We get oh. jars of clay and striper. 
Because <laughs> who wants to hear it? To hell with the devil while all these things are coming down the highway. Striper. Uh, <sighs> so don't don't uh, read don't just leave that story alone. Don't touch it. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Hill, you got a good thing going on with all your, your properties. Don't touch this. Look what happened to your dad. Well, and, and the irony is it would be his first time getting behind a camera as well. So it yeah. all comes full circle. Well, there you go. Gotcha. Just just leave it. So <laughs> I guess uh, what I'll do at this point is, are there any final comments about the soundtrack, about the movie? Do you recommend it? Do you not recommend it? Anything you want to say, speak now or forever hold your peace. Okay, well, I, I really want to talk about the trucks here for a no. second. Um, <laughs> We're ending this. Because this is something <laughs> that, that I thought was pretty cool that they did. A lot of the trucks in the movie were trucks that were used from local businesses. Oh, really? They still, they still had the businesses' names on them. That is pretty. Yeah, cool. but, so that, that, the green the, the green that? one that blew up the green one that blew up was some kind of gasoline company. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So some of the trucks that they used, of course, you you know your Green Goblin truck was Happy Toys. Yeah. Uh, they used a my my tea tasty ice cream truck. Oh yeah, uh, that's Miller, right. Yeah. Miller Brewing Company, Bic Lighters, uh, Job Rolling Papers. Look at that! That's uh, our Dutch boy <laughs> imported tobacco. Did that one? Did that one? Did that one? Our business on the side of that steamroller that's running over that kid's head. Uh, the you know Zeke's trash and waste removal, and then there was also a, a liquid oxygen tanker. Uh, one of the things that I just ran across though that I thought was kind of cool. Uh, the uh, the Happy Toys truck um, had a uh, logo on the side uh, of it that says, here comes another load of joy. <laughs> How is that not an ACDC song on the album? <laughs> another load of joy. Was it a nice, was it a long, extra wide truck? <laughs> it may have been. It may have been. So many comments I can make right now, but, but yeah, very, very cool film. Yes, very cool film. I'd highly recommend this to any horror fan, any sci-fi fan. action fan. Yeah. Well, I was action. Uh, yeah. The, the one I thing mean, I was gonna you can't say get much action hero than Emilio Estevez. The, the one thing I was gonna say: Could you debate? Is this a horror film or is it not? Because is it? It is. You, you could it say is. it's there just an action. aspects of You it. could say it's an action film. Really. The directing is the first thing that comes to mind <laughs> when you think horror. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's a, yeah. it's horrifying. Uh, but uh, no, I you know everyone's got their own. I mean, you go on for days about what's horror, what's not horror, yeah, what what yeah. somebody considers. I think it's horror for me. You know. Um, uh, I highly recommend this movie just because it's it's a fun film. Um, it's one of those cheesy movies that you won't be disappointed if you watched it. Um, and again, with the show, you know, the music, the soundtrack is amazing. Um, it really makes the movie, and um, I highly suggest it. And if you haven't seen Christine, pair it with Christine. It'll be a good double yes. feature. Yes. Or with Duel, for that matter, too. And then finish it off with 1997's Trucks. Don't. Don't touch that. <laughs> that is a that is like, honestly, that movie is like a two and an avoid, honestly. It really yeah. is. And then go out and then go out and defecate on somebody's dashboard. <laughs> what? That's, that's a line from Christine. Oh, yeah, you're right. I was like, 
it's been a bit since I've had to put that one on the roster. The kid, we've been, we've, the kids have now seen the fog, the thing, uh, Big Trouble, Little China, and Starman. So it's, I guess, it's time for Christine, right? Christine, yeah. Well, it was Christine funny. Would be a bad movie for the kids. Yeah. It was it was funny. Uh, Nathan texted me uh, about I don't know a couple hours ago and says, "Is there any sex scenes? I haven't seen it for a while." I said, "Well, there's a really bad after sex scene, but there's not. <laughs> there's, a, there's a hot scene with Emilio and the, the. What is it? What is it? The line you you f like a hero? Or what, what did she say? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. That is vintage King, right? <laughs> yeah. Ending off. <laughs> you could buy and sell us all about just like the ending of this movie <laughs> yeah uh, well, that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna just put up on the show notes and an alien comet scrambled all of our brains and that's why this happened <laughs> the end yeah yeah the reason i well, didn't edit this is because i died <laughs> <laughs> but we can always blame the russians yes right yes yes, yes. yes. <laughs> USA, USA. I just want to click the stop recording button and put it up like that. It just fades out. We don't actually stop talking. It just fades out. That's a good idea. I love it. And then we'll have like Jamie Lee Curtis come on and do a narration. Oh, yeah. What really happened was. That's the other one we started watching with the kids was Escape from New York. And I never realized that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis did that intro. And escape from New York. Well, what we oh, need, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what we need is she like. She was what, also, uh, she was also the voice of the announcer in uh, uh, Halloween Three. Yeah, yep. Yeah. It's well, eight o'clock curfew. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what we need is like mm. Leonard Nimoy from In Search of. In Search of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Or well, uh, who was that? Robert Stack. Robert Stack. Would be good. Or like Peter Graves on a biography or something. <laughs> Oh, hell, if we're going to do that, use Peter Vincent. Peter Vincent, Roddy McDowell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, we can go down a trail on this. Well, gentlemen, it's been an absolute blast with you two. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. I'm really happy you suggested it. I'm really happy that Ryan loves this film. Love it or hate it, it's worth a watch. I think this is a film that may divide people, but at the same time, no matter whether you like it or love it or hate it, you're going to smile at the end of it. And this fact will always be true. By the time this episode is over, you could have just watched the movie and still had time to spare. (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen, you guys are absolutely awesome. You're welcome. Anytime the door is open anytime. And why don't you tell the audience, How do you, why don't you tell the audience how they can get a hold of you, how they can hear you and how they can watch you? We're pretty much everywhere, guys. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. I mean, everywhere. Um, yeah. Phantom galaxy. Uh, yeah. Phantom <laughs> galaxy. <laughs> Hopefully some other place. No, uh, Facebook, you guys get hold of us there. If you want to come on the show, we can get you on a show. Talk about all kinds of paranormal stuff, horror movies, uh, cryptids, Bigfoot, all kinds of cool shit. <laughs> and if you really want to bother Ryan, send a really big package. Yes. And yeah, I will because he doesn't have one. And I will <laughs> compare. I didn't even think about it. I will compare. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, guys, yeah, you can find us at, you can find us everywhere. We like to have a good time. So just so you know, as you can tell from this pot this episode. We are not kid friendly. <laughs> not shy. You don't have you don't have we to, are shy. You're not gonna sit there and try to have to coax conversation. Yeah, that's for sure. The we, problem, uh, we, the problem is, you're too big an introvert. We need to get 
you know. <laughs> I'm not pulling anything. I'm a vert, but it's not introvert. <laughs> More of an Audi than an Innie, I guess. <laughs> Depends on the weather. Yeah. What's, what's, what's and, the difference? Just like the movie. What's Depends the on the mood. Between a kinky person and a pervert. Kinky person uses a feather. A pervert uses the whole chicken. <laughs> And this see some of these episodes are like Bill's like we could you probably don't need to listen to the whole thing just put it up not this one <laughs> <laughs> just two hours and twenty six minutes Nathan, we put a lot of work this in there two hours me. and twenty six minutes is going to be down to a cool forty <laughs> forty two minutes of insight in depth analysis and like this yeah. is yeah. this is the Phantom Galaxy podcast with Gerald Tuber <laughs> like. What Ryan? A whole a whole member got cut out of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be talking about Maximum Overdrive. What the some... soundtrack was by ACDC, and the movie was not that good. Seven out, <laughs> out, of... <laughs> Seven out of ten. See you later, people. Like when they did the G-rated yeah. cut of Cabin Fever, and it's just that first opening scene of them driving along, smiling in the car, and it ends. It's <laughs> <laughs> right to the credits. <laughs> So well, that's Jer- like when they did the kid-friendly version of Deadpool. Yeah, you know I never watched that, but I heard like the, yeah, because it, I heard it's, it's like it's it was still bad. wasn't that kid-friendly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. So Gerald, Gerald, do you have any last thoughts after Ryan has said his piece? <laughs> no, I better keep my mouth shut. Okay, <laughs> for now, for now, for now. All righty. So, as I said, gentlemen, the door is always open. You guys are an absolute blast. Yeah, it was great. We will have you back for VOD roulette or another musical episode or whatever weird cryptid or extraterrestrial or whatever thoughts pop into our head. We'll have you on. So, Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, Nathan, is Uh, anything? Thanks for having us. uh, It's an absolute blast, Gerald. I'll be chatting with you in 10 minutes once we cut this off. So, uh, Nathan, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off here? No, I, again, this has been awesome. It's been awesome just to sit back and let you take the reins there, Bill. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. You can obviously find us here at phantom galaxy at podbean.com and, uh, put it out there. Feel free to jump over to, um, Apple podcasts and leave us a review that we would appreciate that. Leave a review for, the Phantom Galaxy and leave a review for Horror Chronicles too and check check out this guy's um there's there's a lot of great stuff over there. I just did an episode recently about River Monsters that's a lot of fun and was very very nostalgic for me just kind of going back to the lots of like you were saying earlier right the stuff that we enjoyed as kids when ten, times were a little simpler and I still enjoy being get to share with my kids. So uh and then sounds like well, there there's a decapitations in your future too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> So check them out. Uh, They're a lot of fun and uh, and great guys. So thanks so much for joining us. Well, and to the audience, I'm not sure how much or how little my good friend Nathan is going to edit, but this was a fun episode, depending upon what you get to hear. But in all, but in all seriousness, this was a lot of fun. You guys were great. This episode, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing next, but no doubt it will be entertaining and interesting to have musical and movie accompaniment. So with that, check me out here. Check me out on Land of the Creeps. And basically, just keep listening. Give us reviews. Share with your friends, basically. And this has been Strange Frequencies, where the needle drops and the story begins. 